All right, we are recording. Okay, Andy. Um, so here's the deal. It's time for another recap or retro episode or whatever. Let's Jan is a little bit under the weather. Um, he, I don't, I think he's fine overall. He, a couple of weeks ago, caught something that caused him to lose his voice and he has not gotten it back fully and he's still on antibiotics. He was going to join for parts and he thought, I, I might just bow out. So instead, I think this makes you our most recurring uh, guest, right? Andy Shaw. That's right. Um, yeah. how about, is this the, what, fourth time? I believe it's the fifth time. Fifth Suck time. it, Ian Anderson. <laughs> I'm taking Ian over. Anderson's lo- he lost. He's, <laughs> he's now in second place. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah, it. I, I've mentioned before, I can't really tell. You and I were joking about this before I hit record. And I, and by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, my goal here is to just hit record. You and I chat about the last three months. I hit, I end it and then I post it and we don't have to send it to Yan for any, you know, production or editing or anything like that. If we mess up, so be it. That's the way it goes. Well, that's, that's the real reason he's sick, John, is because he stays up <laughs> 20 hours straight editing your stupid episodes. <laughs> To make that Tuesday night deadline, you slave driver. It's so true. I, you know, it. Ugh, I love the guy. It's his own fault. I send him everything <laughs> days in advance, and I'll tell him just so you know. Like this one coming up is two hours long, or the guy stammers a ton, or there's a dog <laughs> in the background that won't shut up. You might have to work on this one. Okay, okay. And he still doesn't start it until like nine or ten o'clock at night, his time. <laughs> you know, and. Uh, Whatever, man. If that's what works for you, I mean, of course, I'm grateful, but uh, it's that, I, that's interesting to me. So anyway, um, I thought it would be I thought it'd be more fun to have you and I and uh, chatting about the last few months since he was going to be out of it. What's going on with you? How are you? Oh boy, um, doing well. Um, you know, I've been back at my office in the office every day for the last year. At really? Land Lakes here. Yep. I once I once you were vaccinated, you were able to come back into the office. You had to be every other cubicle spaced away from people and to wear a mask in common space areas. And when you walked through the hall, and as of a couple months ago, they dropped the mask mandate, so there's no masks required in our building. People right. still haven't returned. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so every day I sit uh, on my floor in a little section that has about 45 cubicles. I'm usually the only one there. So I take my shoes off and I walk around in my stocking feet. I can order extra onions on my you know, lunch and eat my burger without anyone complaining about the smell. That's great. But they just uh, are starting to want people to come back about June timeframe, two to three week, two to three days a week. I think that's becoming more common. We um, we're sort of in a similar boat. I, I started my job in May of 20. And so uh, lockdown had already been a thing. I've only ever even been in my office twice. Once was, I think, back in like November and once was a couple of weeks ago. And um, you have to, one of the, they have opened it back up. It's kind of like, if you want to come in, you are welcome to come in now. And they, yep. it doesn't appear, I think it's, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Um, and there's hardly anyone there. And I've been thinking lately, very strongly about going back, maybe not every day, but most days, just because I just am sort of dying to feel normal again. I, um, I've been noticing, especially 
so far this calendar year, I don't know why, um, feeling kind of battling some depression and some like mental health, I guess, is the buzzword everyone uses today. And I keep thinking to myself, well, what, how can I fix this? I need to, I need, when was I feeling better? You know, when were things calmer? When did I feel better? When was I less depressed? And one of the things was a couple of years ago, I had a job for many years that I really liked it's downtown. I took the bus every day. It was a big open space. It was nice to be downtown. And, um, I thought, well, maybe I should go. The, my new office is a block away from that old office. Okay. So I thought maybe I would just feel better if I got back into the habit of going into my office most days, you know, getting dressed, walking around is good. I put on tons of COVID weight. It's depressing as hell. <laughs> and uh, so I, um, I just thought maybe I should do that. So anyway, I do think I'm going to try and go into my office two or three days a week for a yep. while. Uh, for me, it kind of got to be like the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Every morning I'd wake up, I'd make my coffee, I'd walk down the steps to my basement office that has just a tiny little window behind me, so I couldn't even tell what the weather was outside. Okay. It's My basement is kind of half finished, so I still need like a little space heater in the winter to keep me warm here in the Minnesota winters, don't you know? And uh, right outside of my office is our chest freezer. So, you know, I'd go out there, open it up and say, oh, look, a, a new round of ice cream has appeared in my freezer. Uh, now, I do eat the Halo Top ice cream, which is uh, high oh, in protein, but, uh, yeah. but uh, ooh, those, those pints go down pretty quick at they do. Uh, 300 calories per pop. Uh, I will say, as far as he healthier ice cream goes, Halo Top's pretty good. Yeah. I, I still don't buy it. I still just give myself Ben and Jerry's or haagen or whatever. <laughs> but if I had to do it, I would eat Halo Top because they're pretty good. They're pretty uh, you got to let them sit out for about 10 minutes because they're too solid. Because yeah. I think of the fake sugar, alcohol sugars they use. But uh, sure. after that, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just trying to kind of find a happy place and uh, maybe go into the office a little more often. We'll do that. Um, there's something I wanted to ask you about. Oh, first and foremost, let me do this. I forget to mention that we are a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. <laughs> oh, are you? I, <laughs> you would never know because I forget to mention it every single week. Every week, I think, oh, I got to make sure that I work Pantheon into my intro or at least the outro. And I forget yes. to do it. And if any... The, the intros and the outros are like my least favorite thing about doing podcast because i don't like i don't like my family hearing me do it it feels too performative so i usually record them in the car outside in the carport <laughs> so that no one can hear me and i don't not like, in your back bedroom studio no no, no okay. i have i mean i work out of the, my laundry room and i have <laughs> recorded them in here before and you can tell because it sounds really echoey and uh sometimes if like no one's home i'll record one in like you know one of the bedrooms or whatever, but I just hate, I hate it. I hate stopping what I'm doing and I try to get it all done in one take because I don't like the sound of obvious inserts and edits into it and fixing and stuff like that. And sometimes it'll take me 10 tries to get a, something that I like. And there's, you know, a half hour down the drain talking into my phone and uh, it's all sort of, you know, extemporaneous and I'll, I'll mess up the name of their new album or I'll get a word or the wrong. town they're calling in from. <laughs> 
That's just the worst, isn't it? They're calling in from Devonshire Plaza in Scotland. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I do fun. love. I, 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 I. That's one of my favorite parts of the show. He called me from his palatial estate in you know wherever. Well, like I, I mean, like I've said before, when I originally started the podcast, it was to talk to mostly kind of um, obscure, more obscure bands. And I thought, well, where do these people even live? You know, sure. Like sure. if you if you had one hit, where do you live now, Boise? I don't know. You know, <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of more of like a peek behind the curtain, meant to be anyway, originally. And uh, now it probably doesn't matter. And people like you make fun of me for it all the time. Oh, no, no. Probably I, just stop. I, I, I actually enjoy hearing where they're calling in from okay. now. That's the funny Well, part. I thought it was kind of interesting, too. So anyway. Okay. Where does Ian Anderson live? On his little salmon farm? I uh, keep forgetting to ask, actually. He's in England somewhere. <laughs> I think that's all I've said every time. Calling in from, he called me from his home in England. If I don't know, I just say, like, the whole country. And it's sure. like Robin Guthrie called, lives in France somewhere. <laughs> I forgot to find out why. So you're just going to have to guess for yourself that he lives. Well, in France. I, I would like to know where DC Lee lives, but they will save that for her episode mm. talk here. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, what was I even talking about? Oh, the, uh, the recording Pantheon. of the intros. Oh, yeah. So anyway, once I get one down that I'm happy with and I send it off, then I'm done. And I just always forget to mention pantheon so i'm not still not exactly 100 sure what that means i think our logo is might maybe on their web page it and is and i've noticed that dj is also on pantheon with rock and or roll and his show thank god has started back up again yes. and his has ads in it and our and he was saying that they put those ads in he doesn't put those ads in and yeah. i he was like they don't do that to you and i said no they've never touched ours so I don't even know how this works, but <laughs> bottom line is at some point a year or two ago, Pantheon wanted us to be in their network. And I think we are. And that was very nice of them. And they have a lot of other great podcasts like Cobras and Fire and Decibel Geek. And uh, I'm in Brad love Pages. with that song. Exactly. Brad's. And so, um, you know, check them out. Thank you, Pantheon. I'm sorry that I don't hold up my end of the bargain. Let's stick a pin in this here, John. So I'm going to let people know the John Lamoureux approach versus the Brad Page approach. About a year ago, you know, I've been trying to come up with a podcast of my own for God yes. knows how many years. Yes. And I asked you, what what does Pantheon even do for you? And how does it work? And you're like, well, you just said the same thing. Like you just said, I'm, we're on it, but I don't really know. And you have to message them through like special software and whatnot. Slack. Yeah. yeah. And that was essentially all you told me. And then I messaged Brad Page like a day later and Brad's like, hey, do you have some time to chat? And I'm like, well, I'm just pulling into the parking lot of my gym here uh, (laughs) to work out. But yeah, I'll sit and chat with you. He talked to me for over an hour, John. Really? All the ins. So you call Brad Page and he'll explain to you how Pantheon works. (laughs) Brad's clearly the better resource here for all information well now, that I, that's and I, funny. Could... I talked to him a couple of times before we agreed to come on first of all i want to make sure that no one would make us do something different than what we were doing sure like are they gonna are they gonna change it are they gonna make us follow some other format because we don't want to do that i interrupted you what were you gonna say well that and it was just an excuse to hear those that rich buttery tone uh, of uh, brad dulcet page's tones. voice yeah. the dulcet tones of brad page i love it Woo-hoo. um Anyway, so thank you, Pantheon, for putting us in here. So, okay, so I have a question for you. Um, 
I want to talk about parenting for a second. I don't think anyone listens to our podcast to hear us talk about parenting, but I want to bring something up anyway. Last weekend, uh, my wife, so when I met Farah, I was living in the Bay Area and she was living in New York City. And I, there's, there's a whole, do you not, maybe you don't even know the story. I don't so, even, hold on, Eric Miller. I don't even know how John and Farah. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Okay. This might be a whole other conversation at some point. Anyway, um, I went out to New York to visit a friend of mine one weekend. And it was, uh, and he, a big, large, a large group of single people went out one night to a comedy club and other stuff like that. Patrice O'Neill performed that night. Oh, nice. Yeah. And um, she and I happened to be kind of standing next to each other in line. And we had one of my other good friends from college is also a mutual friend of hers. So I guess I, anyway, she and I hit it off and I had some validation because two of her good friends are also two of my good friends and she worked in publishing so she got a lot of free books i worked for tower i got a lot of free cds so we said we'd did you did you steal any of her free books like your friend's cds (laughs) (laughs) well now her books are my books so i don't have to steal anything anymore no no i i uh i only ever stole cds okay and casingles from sam goody casingles tons of casingles uh you scoundrel Okay, real quick, single story. What I do, uh, I would wear, like I, if you wore a sweater, okay, like a big bulky sweater, I would hold, I would take the single I wanted off the rack. Oh, Fight the Power, Public Enemy. This is one of my favorite songs. And then I would just kind of hold on to it and walk around the store. to So what else is going on here? And I would slowly slide the single up my sleeve into the big bulky sweater. And then I would just mm. walk out with it and no one ever knew. And so, and I, the barcode scanners didn't beep at you or anything. I don't or? know. Maybe my big bulky sweater covered it. I'm not sure, but I never got yeah. in trouble. So, I'm going to need a new podcaster to worship. Your criminal record is troubling me, John. It's true. I'm just ruining everything on this one. Napster um, okay. and John Lamoureux took down the recorded music industry. Yeah, I had a real Napster problem there for a while, too, actually. <laughs> um, I think we all did. Okay. So, real quick, parenting. So, Farah, uh, every it's been a tradition that she takes one of our kids back to New York on a trip to kind of show them around once they're old enough. Mm. And last weekend she took Eddie who is coming. He'll be 10 in two months. And uh, she has a sister out there and their kids and they're the same age. So it works out perfectly. So I was home with the two older teenagers and they're in full teenager mode. They (laughs) have, they just do not like me want nothing, you know, nothing that, when they were young and it was like, let's watch a movie or let's go somewhere. Or, let's do this. Let's do that. None of those things sound fun to them anymore. They're just on their phones all the time. Yeah. I'm annoying. I'm a nuisance. It was really, 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 really hitting me this weekend. And it was frankly making me really sad because those little sweet little kids that you, you know, that you feel some, some ownership of and that you want to form and control, not control. That's the wrong word that you want to, you know, help build into good people they are what they are now and they're they don't really listen to you or care about you anymore and that was depressing to me but um anyway the point of me saying this is that my 13 year old has his first girl graham yes thank you has his first girlfriend and her name is taylor we've never met her or seen her i don't know what she looks like but they of course text all day and uh they tell each other they love each other and um yep and they're 13 
And he is bugging us all the time because he thinks they should be allowed to have like one-on-one time together. And our goal, our rule has like they're running a hotel or what's (laughs) one-on-one time here, John? Are they, are they going to the mall or are they they going to Albuquerque for the weekend? (laughs) These are the conversations we're having because our rule has blanket rule, no dating until you turn 16. That's it. Mm, mm. And, um, and Georgia, who is almost 15, um, it hasn't really come up. She has lots of friends. Uh, some of them are guys, but actual like one-on-one time with a boyfriend or whatever has not come up or been an issue yet. Um, we're grateful for that. She's probably frustrated by it. Bless her heart. Yep. And, um, but Graham suddenly has his girlfriend and he wants, he thinks they should be able to walk around the mall together or, you know, some other outdoor shopping area by us or whatever. We have told them there's no way you're like going to the movies, just the two of you or going to the other person's house and you're going to go hang out in their basement, you know, watching a movie or in the other person's room or whatever. No way. And he gets all that. He gets it. But he want he thinks they should be allowed to hang out one-on-one somewhere sometime. And well, we're really going back and forth places, about this. Public so what, places, I think, are a different thing. Do you? Okay, so that's, so that's what we're If they to went to the movies right or, yeah. you know, well, God, they haven't been able to go to a mall or the movies for, no. No. <laughs> you know, almost but two years. So We have a nice kind of shop, outdoor shopping area by us. And there's, there are, there's movie theaters there, but there's restaurants, fountains, and people walk around and kind of skateboard and stuff like that. And they want to be able to go there. And on the one hand, we are considering it and we trust him. But on the other hand, it's setting a precedence because now we are caving on that no nothing till 16 rule. And granted, the walking around outside with the, your boyfriend or girlfriend is not, that's okay. You know, we, we trust that. But then what? You know, then... Does Eddie, when he turns 13 and has, he actually already, he has his first girlfriend. Now I shouldn't say this the other day in the car, Graham, it was me, Graham, Eddie, and Georgia, poor Georgia. Graham goes, Georgia, do you realize you're the only person in this car, not in a relationship? (laughs) (laughs) Because little Eddie, who's nine has his little (laughs) girlfriend, Audrey. And uh, anyway, so cold hearted, that guy, Mm. but we're just trying to figure out what the rules should be. And making sure everyone if you if you give a little are you gonna have to keep giving until it does become movies or until everyone all the other kids are like you let graham do this or that when he was barely 13 why can't i you know when it's just easier to blanket statements say no you have did parker have any of this going on what are your thoughts no no he did not uh, date in high school he's only a first year in college now um and he only recently had his first girlfriend here this last fall. Uh, they were hot and heavy. They were both college students at the same school. Uh, they dated for three weeks. He hardly called us because that's when we knew it was serious. Um, and then he had a test on a Monday and she wanted to go out to some nightclub. And he's like, no, I really have to stay for this test on Monday. So she went by herself, found some guy there. And started making out with him. And Parker's buddies were also at this nightclub on the other side, watching all this and texting him saying, uh, hey, FYI. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it, it soured immediately there. 
so uh understandable yeah there's a little little uh kick in the teeth for him yes that's too bad so uh so yeah 13 i can see where you're it's a little young but do the, does graham and his girlfriend do they go to the same school yeah so they're probably seeing each other in the halls or have classes with one another and yeah. sit at each other at lunch. So if they went to the mall or the movies, I, I don't think you'd need to worry too much. Uh, I don't think the, we are either. I just worry that then, then, you know, a week later it becomes, well, why can't we go to the movies? You know, you right. let, you let us go to the mall or why can't we go? I don't know anywhere else. One-on-one. It just feels like you're, you open the door to the crack, a crack, and the kid is going to push it open <laughs> as far as they can, you know? Yes. I don't know. Maybe we're being too conservative. Maybe they they're going, we're overprotective. Maybe going over to the other person's house might be a little uh, stretch for you. I can understand that. But if it's a public place, I would say you're yeah. okay. 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 Let's hear it from, uh, I want to hear the listeners, what you guys think. Am I being too overprotective? I don't know. Um, okay, real quick, one of the things that Yan wanted to make sure got brought up in here, for anyone who's interested, Yan has started Moonlighter. I always think about uh, uh, Mel Sharples, how he never wanted Vera or Alice or any of the blondes. Mel moonlight. Sharples. Yeah, from Alice, remember? <laughs> yes, I, oh, I remember. Vic Tabak, yeah. baby, was on Vic an episode Tabak, of The Monkeys. The man himself, yes. He... Uh, it was always no moonlighting. And I remember being a little kid thinking, what does moonlighting mean? Why, why can they not moonlight? I don't know what that means. But Yan, the scoundrel, has started moonlighting. He's producing another podcast. Uh, where's yeah. the loyalty? I know. He's in demand. This is what I'm worried about. He's going to get more offers like this. And we're going to, he's not going to be interested in doing the hustle anymore. So he spends 20 hours a day editing your crap and then sleeps for two hours and then edits two hours on his own. Basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So he's, uh, he is producing, he wanted to mention it. When, when he does the next recap, he'll get into all the details of how, what it all is, but it's a football slash soccer podcast called uh, walking down the hall beef road. And it's a, it's, he's just a producer. He's not an on-air personality or whatever, but it's these guys interviewing former players of the Dunfermline Athletic Football Club. Dunfermline, Scotland is where Gan lives and that's the team he supports. So I've started listening to one of the episodes and I don't know anything about soccer. And I especially don't know anything about Dunfermline's <laughs> soccer and the accents surely pretty, you just i believe it or not and the accents are pretty thick but i wanted to support him so i i listen but it's not so anyway if you are a soccer fan or a football fan or you are a scottish fan or you are intensely loyal to yan check out walking down the hall beef road and that's hall h-a-l-b-e-a-t-h his name and they've only put out two episodes and i think they're either once a month or once every other week or something like that so well good for you congratulations yeah, i know i'm kind of happy for him that's I kind of him. uh your idea when you were kind of getting uh bored a little with the hustle a couple of years ago was to do the hustle sports version like oh, find yeah, an old oh, oakland yeah. a's or yep. san francisco giant pitcher who maybe came up and did a year and yeah i still want to do that i um I've been going through storage and I have, I went through all my old baseball cards recently and I still have thousands of them that I hadn't looked at in 30 years. All these names that just guys that, 
you know, they played parts of one season for one team, you know, and were at yeah. bat like 12 times and that was it for their entire career. You just think, what did you, how must that have felt? Anyway, yep. I still would like to do that. Um, okay, let's get into the last three uh, months worth of episodes. If there are interesting stories here or whatever, I'll tell you what they are. If they're not, we'll make them short. Um, like I said, I don't know whether people care about doing these recaps anymore, but um, I'll keep doing them, I guess, for now. Sure. It's, an ex- it's a reason for you and I to hang out anyway. So we yeah. kicked off the year with Stephen Haig. I always try to, um, near the end of most years around the holidays, depending on what I have in the can, I usually will put out ones that are more obscure just because I know people are kind of busy doing other things and not paying as much attention. But then I like to come back beginning of the year with kind of a bigger name or a flashier guest. I had been trying to get Stephen Haig on here, the producer, uh, yep. for years and it had never quite worked out. We're Facebook friends. We've, it's one of these, this is what happens with most of them. I'll email them four or five times. They'll reply once and say, uh, I'm busy now, but contact me in three months. And then I will and nothing. And then I'll do it three or four or five more times. And then they'll come back. Uh, still too busy. It's like, well, <laughs> anyway, if you just kept in touch, we would know. So anyway, um, by the time I got to him, our buddy Mark at 80 Zography had already done a very in-depth, like four-part series of everything Stephen Haig had done in the 80s, which was really his peak period. And uh, so it didn't make sense for me to cover that ground again since Mark had done it. So Mark is, uh, he is so great at what he does. He asks, he's, he's more, I don't know. It's like a dog with a bone. He gets really into like the details of some of these people and he just incessantly asks these great questions. So when Steven agreed to come on, I said, well, let's focus on your early days in the seventies and your production work in the nineties and beyond and just leave the eighties, what it is for the eightiesography uh, podcast. And I thought that there was still tons and tons of great stuff to talk about in there. The Robbie Robertson stories were great. Yeah. The Susie and the Banshees stories were great. Oh, the the just the kiss them for me behind the scenes was fascinating. Yeah, it was. That's you know, that's a I'm gonna John Lamro. That's one of my favorite songs. Is uh, well, kiss look at you. Me. That's right. That's one of my favorite. You know, songs. along with along with the other thousand uh-huh. you know, other ones, but uh, that's a favorite. Yeah, I know. I can't. <laughs> My, I, let me explain. I've explained this before, but I'll do it again. I have multiple all-time favorites. My thinking is, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you and you digest or indulge in tons and tons of music, hundreds of thousands of songs. So the top, if you were to skim off the top, like one percent of everything you've ever listened to, that's still like a thousand things. Right. And that, exactly. I think that qualifies as like an all-time favorite, the top 1% of everything you've ever listened to in your life. And because I've listened to so much, that means there's a lot of it, you know? John's listened to a million songs. There's probably 10,000 favorites. There so. you go. See? So it's I'm allowed to throw game. that around. It is a numbers game. Thank you, Andy. That's what I've been trying to say. <laughs> Gosh, you get it. Why doesn't everybody uh, sure. else get it? Sure. So anyway, um, I thought that was really cool. And I thought it was interesting. Um, we don't focus as much on the money side of things anymore like we used to, but he goes back and forth between a house in 
London and a house in Paris, I believe, or at least right. England and France. His second Paris home, I think he said. Yes. Yeah. And that should tell you a lot about uh, what production success can get you under the right circumstances. And I think I talk about recording intros. I meant to mention this when I recorded the one for him, and I think I forgot. And I didn't feel like going back and recording it later. One of the coolest moments I've ever heard in any podcast is on his 80sography, where Mark uh, dissects what the sound effects are at the beginning of West End Girls from Oh, from yeah. Shop Boys, because there's obviously some like street noise going on underneath the yeah. music. And somebody somewhere on the Internet that Mark found um, has like the original re- sound recording of with no music over the top of it. So there's that yeah. there's these sound effects that you've heard a billion times, but you don't know exactly what they're saying. And Mark dissects what it is and that it is so fascinating. It's some of the best sleuthing mm-hmm. I've ever heard. So anyway, go check that out if you haven't already. Do you have any last well, lingering thoughts on that? Yeah, Obviously. well, screw this episode. I'm going to go download that episode and listen to that right now, John. You you got this recap. All I'll yourself. do the rest without you, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I will have to say, though, he was a very slow talker, mm-hmm. Stephen Haig. I put it on 1.7 speed, <laughs> and it still sounded like a normal person. Yes, so he does. was very methodical in his speech. Yes. Yes, um, again, another guy with great, you know, Robert Palmer insights. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. we'll get to Gina Shock too, but uh, you know, Robert Palmer's the mystery guy. Unfortunately, that SOB died way too young, and I could have seen him about two years before he died. He came to Minneapolis for a show, and no one wanted to go with me. Oh no! And it was actually the Medina Ballroom, the same place where the Smithereens unfortunately just had to cancel their show oh, here in no March. Um, not a huge club, so you you're right up in it. And yeah. I couldn't find a soul to go with me. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go by myself. And then Shoot. two years later, he dies of a oh. heart attack in Switzerland. Oh, man. So Yeah, I was not a fan. or I didn't really know anything about him until the power station and then addicted to love, yep. which I, you know, was fun, but it didn't make me like a fan or anything like that. It wasn't until the last eight or nine years, probably, where I started going back and listening to everything he'd done, where I can see now how amazing Robert is. Um, By the way, oh, real quick, we were going to talk about concerts, and we did it before we started recording. Real quick, tell us your Smithereens story. Oh, uh, so yeah, um, I had purchased tickets to see the Smithereens with the Tubes, a double bill here in Minneapolis, in January of 2020. Is there a more show. hustle dream concert than no god oh a, a double yeah. bill yeah. of those guys that's the dream come true yeah. uh bought my tickets in january of 2020 for a show i think it was going to be in may of 2020 and uh in case you haven't been following the news there was a global pandemic mm, um, i heard about this <laughs> and the show kept getting postponed every like six months it's go we're going out six months out six months of course because they never have to give you your money back as long as they postpone it um so we finally get to a date it was going to be march of 2022 here and i'm all set to go that by this time the tubes had dropped off so it was just the smithereens and that wednesday or thursday afternoon i get an email saying your credit card has been refunded the money and i go what the hell is this what what refund because i know in my back of my mind it's canceled so i call up the medina ballroom and uh, said, hey, what's going on? They're like, yeah, sorry, uh, we just had to cancel the show. Uh, we're not rescheduling or anything. And I'm sitting here going, I've waited two years to see him. Um, in 
June of 2017, another dream bill, uh, the smithereens with uh, the motels came to Minneapolis. I had too many things going on in my personal life at that time. And I'm like, I'm going to have to miss this show. I'll catch Pat and the smithereens when they come around again. That was June of 2017. Six months later, the poor guy's gone. So I, I said, never again am I going to miss a show. M- Mickey Dolenz and Michael Nesmith just came to the Twin Cities here in November. I said, I missed them the last time they were coming into town. I'm going to go see them. Mike Nesmith's in poor health. I see him a month later. Mike Nesmith is gone. Good for you. So I'm, I don't want to have any more regrets with shows. So I started looking at this. So going back to the Smithereens, once the show's canceled here, I scanned their, their calendar and I said, oh, hey, they're playing just outside of Philly. I know Craig Smith over uh, across the border in New Jersey. I know Eric Miller, both from the Pods and Sods. And I messaged those guys and Eric's like, well, yeah, I'll go with you. And Craig's like, eh, not really my thing, but I'd hang out with you. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. We'll do a, a weekend with the three of us. And then Eric's like, well, what about John? And we messaged you and you're like, oh, the airfare is a little too tight and travel costs. And then Eric came back and said that he was going to have a work thing that weekend and he was going to be able to go. So then it's back to just me going. Cut to the chase. Eric did his project got pushed back. So he was able to go to the show with me. I fly out to Philly. At, I left Minneapolis at 6 a.m., got to Philadelphia for a show that night <laughs> and uh eric and i met at the uh ardmore music cafe beautiful venue uh probably holds about 700 wasn't a bad sight line in the house and uh got to see the smithereens i was right at the front of the stage it was standing room only uh so i was standing by marshall crunshaw who's filling in them for singing and in between him and Severo, a.k.a. Thriller from Manila, the bass player for the Smithereens right now while uh, Mike Mazeros is recovering from surgery. It was the best show. They did all the hits. Um, you know, house that we live in, you know, floored me as always. Uh, Girl Like You. Yeah. Uh, Marshall even threw in a Beatles cover because he, of course, had done the Beatlemania sure. show years ago. Uh, Blood and Roses killed it. Um, so it's just a great show. Eric was uh, great. Like I said, coming with me, I s- had seen Cindy, who is, uh, Jimmy's girlfriend, J- Jimmy, like Jimmy. I know him, <laughs> Jim, Bab- old Jack. Friend, Jimmy. you know, Jimmy, you know, <laughs> so Jim Babjack, the guitar player, his girlfriend, Cindy was there and she kind of runs their message board. So her and I have traded a couple Facebook messages over the years. So, uh, she's aware of me. And plus I had posted that morning that, I, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to some of the arena show tonight at seven o'clock. I'm at the Minneapolis airport here at five 30 in the morning for the show to fly out there. I see her. I go up to her and say, Hey, Cindy, it's Andy Shaw from Minneapolis. Don't you know? <laughs> and uh, she couldn't have been any nicer. We kind of chatted back and forth. And then she's like, well, do you want to meet Jim? And I'm like, meet Jim. Yeah. Yeah. So we probably had to wait around for about 20 minutes after the show. And he kind of had to, you know, uh, shake some hands with some folks. She went up to him. She's like, oh, Jim, hey, Andy Shaw from Minneapolis is here. And I go up to him and I'm like, Jim Babjack, um, you know, you changed my life twice. And he's like, oh, hey, man, how did I do that? And I said, well, you uh, have been a lead guitarist for one of my favorite rock bands for 40 plus years. And it's like, Oh yeah, thanks. You know, that's great. And I said, well, then you remember going on the hustle podcast with John Lamarrow? Of course I was name dropping your name uh, the entire time, John. Of course. Thanks. And he's like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. 
And I said, well, because of that interview, I had reached out to John and emailed them thanking him for doing that interview with you because no one ever interviews him. And uh, I said, and then we just kind of kept in touch and correspondence. And then we've met over the years and uh, we've become friends and you're actually probably one of my great friends. So uh, it was just kind of great to, to kind of thank him for that. And he, he seemed very touched. It's like, Oh, I'm glad uh, it was kind of the conduit uh, to your friendship. So he couldn't have been any nicer. He took a picture with me. He took a picture, uh, several and Eric got in the picture. The four of us got our pictures taken. Um, So it was just a great time. That's great. I don't know if he actually really does remember me, but the fact, if he does, that's a really great, that means a lot to me. Well, Cindy definitely knew you. Okay, good. So. Um, yeah, I've only been to one concert the last little while. It was Delamitri. It was just last week. It was here in Denver. And thankfully I got to go in. They let me in for free since Justin had been on the show last year. Nice. So I went with my buddy Trent and um, it was a really great show. It was, uh, I felt a little bit about the show like I do about Delamitri which is that they're such, such a great band and such good songwriters. But when I listen to them, it's more about craft than it is like excitement or dynamics. It kind Mm -hmm. of, um, I, um, so the show was very pleasant and great, but there weren't like fireworks or like high moments or high emotions or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I guess enough of a, I don't know, stoic, skeptic or whatever i need some of those big like simple minds moments you know big yeah. epic feelings to knock me really knock me out and it wasn't that kind of a show it was it was just more mellow than that but it was so good it was my first time seeing them live one yeah. little thing that i thought was interesting their guitarist also opened for them and their it's his name is chris Dollymore. he was one of the founding members of the godfathers oh, and peter nice. coyne from the godfathers was on last year so I don't normally make it to openers if, if I, unless I know who they are, but I wanted to go see him because I wanted to, I, that's, this is cool. I get to sort of see two bands that I've always loved in a way. He didn't play any Godfather songs. I wish he had, but it was just being able to say I was there and have an experience with both of them. That's the only show that I've been to lately. Sure. Sure. Well, it's a start, right? Yeah. I it's mean, starting kinda... to come back. I mean, we're, you know, little by little, um, Curtis Steigers, who we're going to talk about in a minute, he's coming through here in a in a few weeks. I'm going to go to see that one. Tears for Fears is coming at the end of May. I'm going to go to that. I'm going to Denver, Jeez. or I'm going to Vegas <laughs> uh, to visit my mom and to go see. Uh, I've timed it so that I go see the Doobie Brothers at their residency oh, in Vegas and nice. uh, in May. So that's that's coming up. So anyway, little by little, I'm starting to get back in the mood. Sure. Now, uh, John, this Saturday, I am going to go to the Mickey Dolan's show here in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're going to be meeting up with the Pods and Sodzers, uh, Craig Smith and uh, Megan Stem Wade, and then Christine, the Button Queen, Carlson Wolf from Zilch Ken Mills World will be attending. And uh, hopefully BJ will have dinner with or something because he lives in uh, Madison. And uh, so it'll be a great show. That's and right. uh, I know I get a lot of crap, John, for being your biggest supporter and uh, loving the Hustle brand. But I must say, if if you and Megan from uh, Pods and Sods <laughs> were in a car and the car veered off the road and crashed into a lake and I was an innocent bystander walking across and I had to pick which one to save first, you better learn to hold your breath, buddy. I, I get it. Uh, I get it. Yeah. 
I understand. Ladies first, and she's a good one. Oh, it's and beyond I, chivalry, John. It, it's totally oh, personal. Is it? Okay. Well, I'd like to believe it's just the chivalry, um, but whatever. Whatever. You can I have really other loyalties. Do. I get it. <laughs> Speaking of wonderful ladies, let's talk about DC Lee for a second. Oh, so, yes, please. Um, yes. So uh, I think I had mentioned a year or so ago, I watched that Style Council documentary on Showtime. And uh, I just love them. And I knew Paul Weller probably would never come on here and talk. I wouldn't even know how to get him to think about it. I did wonder if Mick Talbot, the other guy, would come on. I've tried to find him a couple of times and never had any luck. If you're ever wondering why somebody hasn't been on the show, it's probably because I can't find them. I don't know how sure. to reach them. And um, But D was on there. And as I've said before, I'm always trying to get more women. And I'm always especially trying to get more black people on the show and she checked both boxes plus she's wonderful and beautiful and sounds great and we could talk about style council and um so i was really glad she came on and that episode shockingly totally went viral it's uh it's our second biggest episode of the year but it was just getting picked up by all of these fan sites probably thanks to you since you that's your that's the that's the service you provide us, Andy, that we're so grateful for is you post these everywhere. It totally took off, all thanks yes. to you putting it on these these fan groups. Oh, hell yeah, man. It's, it's like I told you years ago when I first found you and you were saying, hello, is anyone even out there? Is anyone even hearing all these? I do these great interviews with people that they always say, whatever happened to so-and-so or what was their story? You've unearthed them. You've given them light and you put these episodes out, but it just they didn't seem to get much traction so that's why i said how can i help what what can i do from my basement in minneapolis here to help john <laughs> and 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 posting uh, your episode links to facebook groups is <laughs> i guess my secret talent in this world so that's your superpower well it works um yeah. especially when it takes off like that one did it's great yeah um i gotta tell you i was shocked to know she was in central line because central line uh that what's it walking in the sunshine song is the hook for ll cool j's they're jingling baby so when yan yeah so when i start when i heard that snippet i'm like oh my god i know that song that's ll cool j they're jingling baby go ahead baby yeah so the fact that she had her start with them um was just a you know just kind of a bonus and then just to hearing all of her her george michael behind the scenes stuff is exactly. fascinating yeah you know because she's meeting them right as they're hitting mm-hmm. yeah so. i thought she was great and i thought that was i hope i understood her correctly that she and paul weller the first time they ever had sex was <laughs> the night before the recording of band-aid I yes think. yes so when you see him in that video He's probably got a naked DC Lee in his mind, <laughs> swimming around in his mind. Wouldn't we all love to have a naked DC Lee from back in the day? Anyway, well, I, I I wouldn't, you know, put it. I wouldn't block it from my memory. True. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's probably uh, a little chauvinistic. Anyway, she's a beautiful lady. and She still looks great. Uh, and I did go back and watch that on YouTube to see <laughs> I could see a twinkle see in his eyes. Twinkles in his eyes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I did get to see Bono with his uh, mullet. Yeah, you know, because yeah. well, what's uh, Band Aid's eighty four, Christmas eighty three came Christmas out eighty four and Live Aid was eighty five. Yeah, I think you're there right. we go. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, Style Council is always one of those bands I've heard of but never really knew. And I knew, you know, when hearing the episode, I knew what's it though when the walls come down. 
walls come uh, tumbling down. Call you might know down. my ever-changing moods. That was a big one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounded familiar, but I didn't really know their catalog. And I f- went through it and, and was loving all of it. I found that last album that came out like in 89. Uh, I forget, was that re- shelved at the time? It was. It was yeah. deep house music. and Oh, totally. Nobody yeah. wanted to touch it. Yeah. And that's the stuff when I went to uh, Spotify, they because they have like their box set and I found those songs. I'm like, the stuff they were doing in 88, 89 sounds like 1995 house music. Yeah. Yeah. Were pop, were what was then the pop music, you know, yeah. Black Box and uh, exactly. That's the LaBouche. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so it was just fascinating to say these guys were doing that five, six years before yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And uh, great stuff. Yeah, they were great. Plus, you know, her being part of the uh, Guru's Jazzmatazz Volume One That's album. Right. I right. mean, folks, if you haven't heard that album, uh, it's jazz mixed with hip hop. And for people that don't like hip hop, I'd say this is a good hip hop album. Absolutely, it. I love so, it. And to have her on it, and uh, India Davenport from the Brand New yes. is also on that. Uh, two yeah. very fine uh, and very talented singers. That's so. right. Plus, Guru is one of the great. MCs ever and he's his name doesn't come up often enough no he was and then, and unfortunately we, you can't get many hip-hop people on here no i know tell me about so, it yeah. uh okay third up was uh doug from the connells i didn't uh this one sort of took me by surprise i like the connells i'm not like the world's biggest connells fan i think they're great some of their albums i really like some of them don't do anything for me um I didn't know what to expect, but he was such a regular, funny, um, lighthearted, regular guy that we really mm-hmm. hit it off. And, um, you know, we were texting for a few days there afterwards and he was just, uh, he was great. I'm hoping that they, that album, um, Stedman's Wake is going to, it so far it's one of my favorite albums of the year. And uh, I just thought it, even though it came out last year, I discovered it this year. But I just think they're wonderful, and he's just an especially nice guy. And I hope next time they come through here, that I can, uh, I'll pop him another text. Maybe he and I can meet up. Sure. Well, it was fascinating to hear about how an American has more success over in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> than they have here at home. Yeah. You know that one song, seventy four or seventy five, which I didn't even know that song until much, much later in life. And that's the thing that made them huge in Europe and nothing else. And I still think of all their like Stone Cold Yesterday and their other college radio songs that I remember from back in the day. It's such an odd story, but, you know, good for them. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed like a good guy. Yeah. And had a Salt Lake City. Yes. (laughs) I love when they have a good Salt Lake City story. I hope those are, I mean... I don't know. My thinking is, look, if if uh, Mark Maron can spend half his interviews talking about old comedy store stories and Jewish stories and whatever. Albuquerque, New Mexico Albuquerque, stories. Yes. Then I should be able to bring up Salt Lake City and Mormonism once in a great while when it makes sense. That's Well, as, as David Wilde said to you, John, you have your own spin on these interviews and that's your that's your personal touch. So no, thanks. That's true. <laughs> OK, let's talk about Jackknife Lee for a minute. Uh, this is our biggest episode of the year, which I did not expect. It still gets downloaded quite a bit. Um, huh. I, when I was, I, I got an email or something that he was putting out a new project telefiche 
And I thought, well, this guy's done so much. I mean, you two alone, not to mention, you know, editors and block party and everybody else. I mean, the list was endless. Um, I would love to talk to him. Um, but is he going to be willing to talk? Can we talk about Telefiche, but then also all this other stuff? And his PR person was like, uh, just do your best to try and focus on the new stuff if you can, okay? And um, he even emailed me separately, and he was like, look, if you're looking for someone to just tell you you two stories, go to Steve Lillywhite. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I said, well, Steve Lillywhite, I, he keeps turning me down, so I can't make that happen. But anyway... Um, I great. We'll, we won't, we'll avoid you two. We don't have to get into you two. Sure. Well, little did I know that I was going to ask him one question and then he was going to talk for the next hour and a half nonstop and mention anything and everything he ever felt like talking about. Very little of it actually was telefiche, which right. is what I started out talking about, you know, and it took him an hour to get to telefiche. And even, so it was like, look, man, I, I followed the rules. I did what you asked me to do. This <laughs> one's on you. But it was fascinating. I mean, there are pe one of my worst things are people when they come on here and they talk too much. I yeah. hate that. And it's not because I want to do the talking. It's just just don't be boring. I don't care if you're like Dale Bozio and you're completely nuts. Nuts is exciting, but don't be boring. You know, I can't stand boring. And he wasn't boring. That was the beauty of it. He would just, every couple seconds, name drop somebody else. Well, when I worked with Modest Mouse, and then when I did The Killers, and then when I was with Taylor Swift, and then when we did Weezer, and then when I did, and it just went on and on and on. And and this, I, I think I may have mentioned this before, the hard part about all of this is that once I can insert myself for a question or something, he just went, he just talked for a half hour. I, there, I have like 20 follow-up questions about everything he just said. And we haven't even got to the rest of my notes, the rest of my list. So right. I have to, so do I, if I ask him a follow-up question about something he just said, there goes the next half hour, you know, and <laughs> we'll never get to the stuff that I want. And if I get to the stuff that I want, I miss out on a, getting, digging deeper into what he just said. It, right. So it's it's a really difficult balance for anyone who's wondering, um, you know, why didn't you ask him about this? Why didn't you get deeper into that? Because with a guy like Jackknife, who is an absolute bona fide genius, I love that conversation. Um, yeah. If you, if I ask every, any question I ask him, I have to be mentally prepared for it to eat up the next 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> is that where I want to spend that time? I don't know. So anyway, I tried to, insert other bands and pump it full of all the music people would want to hear. But it was just fascinating. And in all of that talking, kind of like I'm doing right now, there are enough little nuggets of wisdom and bon mots and pieces of interesting advice and everything that I thought it was just so fascinating. But man, it was unique. It was unlike anything else. Well, that's got to be almost your longest episode ever, if not it's, the longest one. I wondered I that think. too. I think him and Jerry Murata and maybe oh, that man. first Rupert Hine episode are all just shy of three hours. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I think you caught him on the right day, John. I think I did. <laughs> I'll never forget it, too. He At the very end, it didn't make the final cut. We cut it out. But um, we were saying goodbye. And he was saying, yeah, I've got to go eat dinner. My wife's been texting me from, I think she was at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or whatever. <laughs> and he said, they have, they have these fish sticks that I really like. 
And he said, so my wife texted me and said, do you want pizza or fish sticks? And he tried texting her back while he was doing the interview with her. And he texted her back, I want fish pizza. And she didn't know what that meant. And so she's been sitting at the store waiting for our interview to end. So he, she could get clarification of what he meant about fish pizza. He meant to say, I want fish sticks, not pizza, but he, it came on the text as fish pizza. Anyway, sure. A little behind the scenes story for you then. Worst pizza flavor ever. Fish pizza. Fish pizza. Yeah. It never really took off. Did it? No, no, no. no. It's like crystal Pepsi. And uh, ironically, John, that is one episode. I did not post any links to. <laughs> Uh, because we didn't need your help on that one. I know because most, I mean, most of your stuff is eighties, nineties centric and his stuff kind of starts 2000 yeah. and above. Yeah. And I'm not really in any Facebook groups before, after 1999. I don't blame you. So. I didn't, I wouldn't have, I was shocked too. I mean, granted, we talked about a lot of bands who have ties back to eighties and nineties and what they were doing in the two thousands, but he really is one of the like most in demand and successful producers working the last 20 years. And, uh, and that is the reason I'm assuming this one really took off because anyone's, he's still, his name is still out there. So whenever they're Googling Jackknife Lee, my episode's coming up and, um, anyway, it really took off and the telefish stuff is good. That got buried in all of this, but it is really good. (laughs) So, okay. Anyway, after that was Mark Seymour from hunters and collectors. This is another one I've been trying to make happen for years. And I, um, can't remember if I mentioned this in the episode or not for years there. I don't know why, but when I would email his website, I would get this automatically generated email response saying, you know, thank you for contacting hunters and collectors. Mark Seymour will be, will contact you shortly or whatever. And then they, he never did. And uh, <laughs> every time I would try this, which was two or three times over the years, no one would ever get back to me. And so I gave up for two or three years and uh, went back again um, because I really like that band a lot. And then um, this time that automated generate that automatically generated email didn't come. And instead, his PR person did reply and said, "Sure, let's do this." And I said, oh, "This is great." Every other time, there's been this other email, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" He didn't know anything. He had no idea what I was talking about. And I even forwarded him one of the emails because I've held on to it. This is what happens. This out of this email is what happens whenever I contact you. I never heard back from him. So I don't know whether he thinks I'm crazy or what. <laughs> I did ask him. Um, I, th- I think his name's Michael. I did email for anyone who's listening and curious about this. I emailed him just a month or two ago and said, do you think, is there, any, are you in contact at all with Nick Seymour or anyone from Credit House? Because that's a natural thing, right? Everyone knows sure. I love Credit House. Mark and Nick are brothers. Do you know them at all? Do you think he would talk to me? And he said, I'll find out for you. And he tried. He said, just so you know, Nick is very private. He lives in Ireland. He uh, doesn't do a lot of interviews. I said, I, that's what I figured, but let me know. And he tried. And then he emailed me about a month later and said, just so you know, I never did hear back from Nick. But I thought that was really nice of him to even try, you know. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, unfortunately, uh, you never seem to get a guest to help you line up one of their buddies. I know. Very rarely. Sometimes, right? but not very often. Yeah. yeah. You think they would try to, you know, help each other out, you know, because, hey, here's this guy who's interested in stuff. He obviously does his homework. 
and uh, you know, you're not wasting your time. Right. And then there's some crazy guy in Minneapolis that's posting it on Facebook everywhere. So uh, maybe, it's you. maybe you're the problem, Andy. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with hunters and collectors, but uh, you know, just the fact that he had the stories of, you know, Hey, well, you know, we were around with the crowded house and in excess and, you know, they know all those guys and ran yeah. with them. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, imagine you're, Hey, they, I think of them more, almost more as like midnight oil. I think they may have even yeah. been slightly earlier than in excess and crowded yep. house. And here you're one of the founding fathers and all the other bands that you, that ins- you inspired and that yeah. you, you know, palled around with are all going to America and having a lot of success. And you're the band that doesn't, that doesn't happen for. That's got to hurt. And one of the members of that band is your brother. Right. And every, and at Christmas, when everyone's back together at Christmas time in Melbourne or whatever, um, Nick's, you know, flew in on Concord because he's in one of the biggest bands in the world and you're not. And he's right. your younger brother. That's got to suck, you know? When you you're not on the them, Lost Boys soundtrack. No. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, I will say this same dynamic is going to come up here in a little bit later when we talk about Tim Finn. Mm, so yeah. um, anyway, I just was glad that one happened. I don't know if it managed to turn anyone on to Hunters and Collectors, but I think they're a great band. Sure. Um, okay. It, then we did a book club, uh, Bill Cop's book on 415 Records, I absolutely love this book. It's not because it was some, you know, incredibly written book, although it is really well written, but it's just a mat. It was like finding a hidden treasure because I knew what 405 records was. And I knew about Romeo void and obviously red rockers and some of the other people that we've had on the show, but I didn't know all the depths of it. And as a guy obsessed with music, especially seventies and eighties, post-punk and new wave to find out there's an entire there's just tons of information and music out there that I would like that I didn't know existed. And I stumbled on it by reading Bill's book was uh, huge. I love that. I do want to know though, the download numbers for book club episodes are much smaller than regular episodes and are smaller than some of like the deep dives, which I haven't been doing as much of because I'm now everyone's sending me their books. I've got a stack of books. <laughs> I can't tell if people care about these. Well, I think the deep dives and the book clubs, you know, are a sub-segment of your listenership. So maybe someone doesn't care about the 415 Records story, yeah. so they might skip that episode. Uh, I, I don't know why they would, you know, because right. I'm downloading all these damn episodes. Right. Um, but, uh, but you do have to have a mindset that this is what you want to hear. Yeah. Because it is going to be just, uh, well, first it's the book. So it's not even the musician usually. Um, so it's, it's, it's a smaller audience. Yeah. You got to expect I, that. I, yeah. My, my thinking is always, well, I, I assume I've, we've sort of curated a listenership of people here who like this similar kind of music that I do, like yeah. it in a similar way that I do. And so if it interests me, then it's interesting enough to put out there to share with all of you. And um, this one really hit a sweet spot for me. I was not expecting that. I had no idea it would do that, but it did. And so I was hoping that it would have that same um, effect on other people. And some of them do. I mean, it still did really well and people seem to enjoy it, but it was just 
a few steps behind in terms of download numbers. And um, you're right. I, I, that's true for a lot, a lot of the bonus stuff that we put out there is never quite as big as the Tuesday episodes. So um, anyway. Well, I think with the deep dives, you have to be a fan of that band or that album, you know, probably that's probably true. Like I said, that's why it makes it such a subset. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Cause some of the, you gotta be invested. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. Um, Let's see here. After that, um, we had Bow Hill, which is another one that I had been trying to make happen for a couple of years. Um, It was very interesting. I can't remember if I told the story or not. His website, um, it's pretty scaled back. It's pretty bare bones. And when you fill out the contact contact section, um, it asks for your phone number. And I think that's because most of the people who contact him on there are bands that want him to work on their stuff. Sure. And so he's like, you know, leave your contact number so I, we can start talking. And I had just put my, uh, I guess I put my, maybe it even auto-populated. I didn't know if I put it in there or not. So later that day, I'm driving the kids somewhere and my phone rings and it says Austin, Texas. And normally I don't pick, I never, like most people, it's spam and I'm not going to answer the phone. But for whatever reason, this time I did. And um, it was him. Uh, Yeah, John, (laughs) this is Bo Hill. And I feel kind of embarrassed because it took me by such surprise. I, I kept calling him Bo Hill. Like you would Charlie Brown instead of Bo. And so right. I was like, well, hi, Bo Hill. Well, I can't believe you called me Bo Hill. That is great. And I'm, he probably thought I was making fun of him. And I wasn't. I was in like shock. And uh, we were leaving, Farrah and I, a few days later to go on our trip to Poland. And uh, he said, well, great. Um, let's talk when you get back. And I was like, well, this is... Um, this is your number, right? I can just text you when we get back from Poland. And he goes, oh, homie, don't text. Homie, don't text. <laughs> that was the exact word. And nice. uh, oh, okay. So Bo Hill doesn't text. Okay. Well, then um, I'll call you at this number because I don't know if he's getting any emails. The only way to really connect up with Bo Hill, I guess, is through calling him on the phone. Hmm. So I call him a couple of times. I don't want to be a weirdo. He, uh, it sounded like it was going to happen as soon as we got back from Poland. It didn't for whatever reason, a, you know, a couple more months go by. And then finally he calls back and we set it up and uh, he's like, you know, how are we going to do this? I said, well, it's really easy. I'll just, can I email you through your website, a, a zoom link and we can both get on zoom. Oh, homie don't zoom. <laughs> that was his answer to that one too. So, uh, oh, okay. So homie doesn't zoom or text. Got it. Okay. Okay. He watches a lot of in living color reruns. (laughs) You wouldn't have guessed. The architect of 80s hair metal doesn't (laughs) want to text or zoom. Okay, Bo Hill. Well then um, I will, let's do this. I can call you on uh, Skype and I can record it on my end and we'll do that. And we did, and it was great. And, but you just, Talk about, I mean, like I said, here's the architect of 80s hair metal, and he is the most sober, regular, straight, he seems straight-laced, he probably isn't or wasn't back then. Right. Regular guy, it's just amazing what, you know, the personalities of some of these producers and what and what they put out there in the world. Right. Yeah, no, he sounded very uh, like a, you know, 
a real estate agent or something, you know, he's very <laughs> somber, sober sounding dude. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't have guessed that he produced round and round by rat. Uh, so yeah, yeah it was very professional, very business or oriented sounding. And so he's part of the Interscope founders. I think so. I was reading a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, so I, we didn't get as deep into his like the business side of things because I think he was one of the founders of Interscope, and I think nice. now he runs. You know, he produces what he wants. He probably kind of like Stephen Haig lived, made buckets of money back in the day. Cherry pie alone will probably do that for you. And he um, just does what he wants now, yeah. and lives in Austin. And he's remarried. He was married to Fiona, which is kind of amazing too. Sure. And um, uh, yeah, a regular guy. It does what he feels like doing. Well, as long as there are gentlemen clubs around, he'll always have a stable stream of uh, revenue coming in. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Gentlemen's clubs. It's a polite way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he did say, you know, that Janie, you know, was kind of, you know, like you said, depressed about having created cherry pie. And he's like, well, it's, you know, a rock anthem, man. Like only 10 people have done that. And I'm like, really? A cherry pie? I'm like, I find rat round and round to be a bigger anthem than cherry pie to me personally. Well, uh, it's a better song for sure. I mean, I well, do yeah. think, <laughs> I feel like um, it's interesting you mentioned that because Bo Hill, I imagine Bo Hill's relationship to a song like cherry pie or wingers 17 which yep. is also a great song, but also sort of problematic. Oh, or oh, the statutory rape. Yes. Yes. His relationship to that song versus the artist's relationship to that song is probably similar to like Peter Wolf with um, we built the city on rock and roll and right. everybody have fun tonight because they're the producers. They're not the ones that have to carry this song around with them everywhere they go and get yep. made fun of for it or whatever. Uh, yeah, these people like cashing checks, obviously, but they, I mean, they have to have that song on their resume. Uh, we know from having Jack Hughes on here a couple of times that yeah. he likes cashing the checks, but he'd rather do prog rock now than, you know, go out there and have to play everybody have fun tonight. But Peter <laughs> Wolf is like, hey, I'm the one who made that. I gave you a hit, you know, I'm making yeah. you guys rich. I'm making Martin Page rich because he wrote, we built this city. Starship seem embarrassed, you know, Grace Slick is embarrassed to have to talk about it. She didn't mind right. cashing those checks back in the day, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm sure Bo has kind of a similar relationship to his songs that Janie's like, why do I have to do cherry pie? I was, <laughs> I was going to be a, a serious songwriter. I had Uncle Tom's cab and he's like, do you like money or not? You know, right. so uh, anyway. And sometimes you need that, that, you know, let's say uh, lower brow hit. Yeah, <laughs> to keep the fans into it or to bring them in, and then you can hit them with your Uncle Tom's cabin. That's true. That's yeah. true. And you know, somebody like Def Leppard has—they have "Pour Some Sugar on Me," but then they also have twenty other songs that are almost as big. So they don't get yeah. boiled down to that one song that's kind of problematic. Whereas Winger and um, Warrant and Cherry Pie is a fun song. All those songs <laughs> are kind of fun. I mean, they're annoying, or they were annoying back then because they were overplayed, but you know, they'll pump you up too. I like cherry pie. Oh, That's yeah. a great album, by the way, the rest of the album's almost as good. Sure. So sure. anyway, well, it was interesting too, to get his take on, uh, 
uh, hair, you know, the hair metal <laughs> craze. And like you said, you've interviewed the three, you know, the three guys of I think uh, so. 80s AOR, yeah. metal rock, hair rock. So they're the ones, Ron Evison, Bob Rock, and Bo Hill, if you ask yeah. me. So, yeah. okay, good. Um, next up was Howie Klein. So <laughs> I feel a little, uh, I feel sort of conflicted about this one because I loved it so much. And yeah. he is one of these kinds of people. I think everyone would agree. And so would the next guest. So was the next guest, Mick Wall, where you just want to sit at their feet and let them tell you stories for days and days and days. I don't know that I wanted would have wanted to have gotten naked in Howie Klein's pool in your <laughs> pool and listen to. But I mean, you know, maybe if it means stories, you know, I don't know. But it's not exactly my jam. But whatever. So anyway, I. I love that conversation. And we, it, I mean, it was an hour and a half and we tucked on, we touched on like 10% of what I wanted to get to. And uh, I didn't quite know what to do with it because I didn't, I had so many interviews in the pipeline. This happens a lot yep. where if I wait, it's going to come out in like two months. Or if I put this out now, I, you know, Ivan from men without hats, isn't going to come out for, I don't, I hate that feeling of holding on to really good interviews for, months and months because you know i have others that are lesser than in front of them sure so i thought well let's you know we don't actually have to put a ton of music in this one um because since he's not a musician we could just make it like a conversation and leave it at that and i want to put it out close to the 415 thing to kind of help promote the book so maybe i'll just do it as a bonus in retrospect i almost wish that i had put i combined mick wall and howie klein into one episode and let it be three and a half, four hours long, whatever. But at least it was, you know, these two really great, interesting things in one. Just because what I was saying earlier, the Tuesday episode seemed to, something about having bonus on there or promo mode or book club or whatever. Yeah. I think some people are like, oh, swipe, delete, because it's not the Tuesday thing that I really, but this had everything Tuesday about it. Yep. It's just for the, I want, in order to get it out as quickly as I wanted it to come out, I had to make it a bonus. Does right. that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, it probably would have been better as a Tuesday episode, just A, because of the length, and B, yeah. the stories. I mean, the Lou Rawls, Bill Lou, Oh, story. Lou Rawls and Lou Reed? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know Lou Rawls? No, no, I don't know Lou Rawls. Well, Bill Clinton said, you know Lou Rawls, and you can get him to come to our function. And like, what? I, no, I don't know Lou Rawls. <laughs> oh, Lou Reed. Oh, oh Lou yeah. Reed. That story was genius. Uh, probably yeah, the only so time Lou Reed and Lou Rawls have ever been. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. I know. Um, yeah, there was a ton there. All the sire stuff with like oh, the echoes yeah. and the echo and the bunny man and all those kinds of people. Depeche and those, mode stories. Yes, the Depeche modes. And the just those just say no or just say yes or just say anything or just say whatever. I have yeah. every one of those compilations and they are they're life changing. Everything on those that is the sound of like high school and early college for me. And to think he is the mastermind behind those. It's kind of amazing. So sure. anyway, if anyone out there, just if, if any of you delete bonus material, because you just assume it's lesser than go back and redownload Howie Klein. Cause it's absolutely worth your time. It was not meant in any way to be seen as secondhand citizen. It just was a matter of wanting to get it out as quickly as we could. 
Oh, yeah. Well, that and, you know, he had the great stories about Ocean Blue and, yeah. you know, the whole ice tea and the cop killer tea, issue. Yeah. Well, actually, that was body count, I should say. That's true. That's true. But still, so. and how he uh, he he felt like he had a chance to discover Andrea Bocelli. Yep. Which came out of nowhere. I was not expecting yeah. that story. And they kind of turned down. And then Andrea Bocelli goes on to be huge. <laughs> and the Wilco stuff was interesting. Yeah. I've, you know. Some Wilco I like, some puts me to sleep, but still it's an interesting story. Um, sure. And that leads us to Mick Wall, which is one of the conversations I'm kind of most proud of because I, I love, I, if I can toot my own horn for one second, one of the things that excites me the most about these podcasts is when I find the guy that some of you know or you saw in a documentary or you've seen their byline or you, in this case, or some band you just haven't thought about for a while. And I found that guy. And when you see it in your feed on Tuesday, you're like, Mick Wall. I haven't thought about Mick Wall in forever. Or what an interesting idea. I love when I can surprise you like that. And that's sort of the, the you know, the pump. I sort of got that feeling from Mick Wall. Like I was, and not everyone I get knows who he is. Although that is top five biggest episode of ours for the year. And so far. But it was so his, I am, he converted me because he and I have the same taste in music in terms of like Bowie and television, Iggy Pop and stuff like that. But he saw, he realized early on the great stories were in hair metal and hard rock. And so if I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to be a storyteller, those are the guys, that's where the stories are. I'm going to hitch my wagon to them. Yeah. I'm not going to, the sad sacks of Echo and the Bunny Men or whatever, they don't have the good <laughs> stories. Ozzy and GNR and, Led Zeppelin John Bonham stories. Yes, you know. that's where the stories are, and he did it well. And uh, so all that, I mean, all of his insights on Jimmy Page were so oh, yeah. fascinating. Just hearing someone voice the concerns and reasons and thinking you've had in your head all this time, and to know that he knows Jimmy, they at least right. you know were friendly. Yep. Um, I had tried. We talked for a while and bless his heart he was like look if you need to do anything else you want to do this again you want to do a part two just tell me i'm more than happy to do it and what i thought i would do was put out his tuesday episode and then hurry and record a follow-up right before that came out it's just a live thing like you and i are doing now not worrying about music or inserting any songs let's just i want to sit at your feet mick wall for an hour and a half and by that point, he had some writing assignment was on deadline. They could, oh. um, but I may try and squeeze in some, you know, unedited, uncensored conversation with me. And <laughs> He's great. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah like you said, a name I've I've seen uh, all over the place, and like, yeah. oh, that's the guy. A lot of those classic albums on Access oh, yeah. TV and stuff like yep. that. He's a speak. He's a talking head, and a lot of those kinds of things. Yep. He's just great. Um, okay, here we come with another book. Did you have anything more to say about Mick? Oh, nope, nope. I'm just trying okay. to keep up with the episodes here. <laughs> okay. So then we have Bradley Morgan's YouTube book. Um, I had, uh, I'm always trying to involve other people where it makes sense. So originally, Dave Carruth, my good friend, was going to do some of these book clubs with me. And um, I don't know, I, I got the, I would throw a couple of ideas at him and he didn't reply. And I thought maybe he's not really into this book club idea. Like I thought, plus when Dave and I hang out together, we just 
shoot the breeze about music for hours and hours and hours and hours. But something about being on the microphones, the dynamic is different, and it doesn't come out, it doesn't come across like I think it will. And so um, I thought maybe I should just do some of these by myself and not worry about Dave and make him feel like he's got to read this book or carry this responsibility or whatever. He and I are working on another episode relating to a rock documentary that may be coming up later. So I thought, well, let's see who who might be willing to be a co-pilot with me on this one. And Carly Anderson, who is many podcasters, good friends. She's so supportive of our community. She's a great person, a great personality. She lives here in Denver, although I've never met her. I'm sure she and I have been <laughs> at the same concerts dozens and dozens of times. And U2 is her band. And I thought, well, let's see if she would be interested in this too. The book's a quick read. It um, The book was more uh, political, I guess I should say, is the right word, than I thought it would be. It um, It's not, I mean, there are behind the scenes like, they recorded it on this day and this is what went into the writing, but you really understand like what was going on in the world from a political perspective that was motivating a lot of these songs. And so it was a little heavier subject matter slightly than, um, you know, the fun stuff that was in the 415 book. Right. And so, but think it was a quick read. It's about the same size and feel as a 33 and a third type book. And so Carly and I were able to knock that out. And I was really glad that she was able to join on that one for me. I think it brought a lot. To the conversation uh yeah a little bit of a uh, intense u2 fan i was impressed at how many shows she'd see she's great yeah was it 39 times i think she yeah, said she'd seen them live i was impressed i love johnny rivers i've only seen johnny rivers nine times <laughs> is johnny rivers the most is that who yes. you've seen the most live johnny rivers is the most followed was... by mickey dolan's which will be six here coming this saturday i think Okay. So. I think my number, I, I've seen Howard Jones nine times. Nine and I think times. I, nine <laughs> times. And he's actually coming through Denver on my birthday. Hmm. And I may finally, finally be interviewing him in the next couple of months. We'll see. His PR lady hates me. But I'm, she's I'm, the same. I'm shocked person. you would tell people, John, here on the Well, I, I'll just, I'll drop It's okay. I'll drop it. But he's coming through Denver on my birthday with Midger hoping to be able Ooh. to go to that show because i love them both I've seen yeah. them both many times and um and i've seen some variation of neil finn either with credit house or the finn brothers probably about that same amount of times maybe maybe one or two more but they're they're the most for me howard and jones. howard and howard jones has got to have a salt lake city story john oh come on he's got man's just king do there i know he is king there that's why it's like that's oh just to get okay so <laughs> i've been trying to get howard on here for years every time i i contact his pr person she says oh he's really busy right now and then he goes off and does like a dozen other podcasts the same okay. kind of thing by the way for anyone who's listening my wife i do this in the <laughs> laundry room farah just walked in she's gonna be working on the laundry behind me she's just gonna be hi farah we're not editing it out andy shawl says hi so um she's like oh christ that guy yeah <laughs> I the anyway. restraining order was still in effect, John. What are you doing? Does it count over Zoom? I don't know if it counts. <laughs> I guess you could probably still harass people over Zoom. All right. Um, so anyway, uh, the same thing happens with Steve Lillywhite. He'll tell me, oh, I'm sick of talking. I've talked too much. And then he goes and does a dozen other podcasts. It's like, <laughs> Steve, how do I get to be one of those people? Every time I contact you, you say you're too busy and you're talked out. 
but you don't tell me when you're like, guess what? I'm not talked out anymore. I'm ready to talk to you now, John. You don't, he doesn't do that. And neither does Howard's person. So Howard's lady also handles Tom Bailey of the Thompson twins. And now she handles the fix and Cy Kernan of the fix. And I've been emailing each other for years trying to figure this out. So now I have to go through her to get Cy on the show, which sucks because she hates me. But anyway, maybe it'll happen here soon. I'm hoping. Mm. How did we get on that? Oh, we're talking about shows that we people shows, see yeah, a yeah. lot. Okay. So Carly's seen you two 39 times, man. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it was fascinating to hear her, uh, you know, the red state, blue state uh, paradigm going on yeah. at the shows. I mean, anyone going to a U2 show has got to expect a more uh, progressive mindset uh, of the show. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what uh, you thought you were going to see at a U2 show. (laughs) And that Bradley Morgan, the author, uh, I'm trying to remember, he was born in 87 or right about there. So he's essentially born the the same year as the book or as the album came out. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Uh, Well, I like 35. He was a really thoughtful guy. That was a good thing to have. Um, okay. After that was Ivan Dora Shuck from men without hats. Um, I, he's another one I've been trying to make happen for years. He's a, just like same thing. I've been saying we're Facebook friends. I'll ask him on Facebook if he'll come on the show. He won't say anything. A year goes by. I'll try him again. He won't say anything. A year goes by. And this time he'll, he won't reply. He'll reply with a thumbs up. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't yeah. know if that's a yes. Is that a yes, Ivan? If that's a yes. When do you want to do this? <laughs> Silence. Another year goes by. You know what I mean? This is what yeah. it's like with a lot of these people. And what's interesting is that every interview I ever hear him on, he's he's kind of a, he can be a little prickly. It's not, he's not a mean person. It's just that he's not like super warm and super cuddly or anything like that. Right. And there's a part of it. So all this time I keep thinking, Ivan, they don't know you like I know you. I'm the guy. I'm the one. This is how I feel about Howard Jones. I'm the one who's going to give you that other interview that's different than all the other ones you want to do. Because I know you, Ivan. I get you. I've been thinking about you for 40 years. I have theories about you, Ivan. And uh, and sure enough, thankfully, once he agreed to come on, I feel like I kind of warmed him up about as warm as you're going to make Ivan Doroshuk. I think I made him pretty quickly. And thankfully, yeah. our listener, Derek Mansfield, who I don't know if Derek wants me to say this or not. Derek used to play in Men Without Hats with oh, Ivan for a little nice. while as a keyboard player. Hmm. And uh, he was sort of helping me along, like, don't be afraid. He's a really nice guy. He's not going to be mad at you. He's not super prickly. And as soon as it came out and I heard from Derek saying, that's the Ivan I know. That's the hmm. warm Ivan that I've been on the tour bus with. You managed to get him out. That was all the, you know, validation that I needed. So thank you, Derek. Now, did Derek hook you up with the interview? No, he didn't. Oh, okay. He didn't want, he, Derek didn't want me to tell Ivan that I knew Derek because I guess there may have been some, like a ah, tense fall, uh, you know, sure. leaving the band under not perfect situation or whatever. Sure. Cause, cause I know the linens over at the permanent record podcast, you know, Brian and Sarah yes. Lennon, great folks. Uh, I know friends. they had just had uh, yes. Ivan on. Not too that long ago as well. That's another sim- situation like the Stephen Haig one where I'm trying for years and some, you know, <laughs> upstart, the l- freaking linens. 
get to Ivan before I do. It's like, I've been trying to make this happen for years. You guys show up out of nowhere. How do you get this? How does this, why does he say yes to you and not me? But they, I got to say though, they did pretty close to the exact kind of interview I would have wanted to do. They were great with Ivan. So I, I had to kind of do my own thing and make it my own. Sure. Well, they also just had Kurt Larson of the information society on there as well. I haven't listened to that one yet. It's like two and a half hours long. I'll get to it. I'm kind of behind, you know, well, you probably don't because you have been going into an office. Now that I don't commute to work every day, my all my podcasts are just piling up because I used yeah. to have that hour to and from work every day to yeah. catch up on a lot of these things. So I now it's when I'm doing the dishes or I'm <laughs> making my lunch or yeah. whatever, you know, whenever I'm watching, every time I watch a sporting event, like a jazz game, which breaks my heart, but or the world series or whatever i listen to the podcast while i watch because it's my only time to really catch up um you know what was interesting though that ivan an episode didn't do as well as i thought it would it kind of lacked but lagged behind i thought yeah. he would be the first episode of like a big win streak because everyone he was like everybody from him on was a real household name yeah. but it didn't do that it didn't take off that way i don't know why yeah i don't know either um because I posted it in like the 80s and all the new yeah. wave groups I'm in, which is several. Um, yeah, thank you. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure why the uh, the lackluster numbers on that. But he it was fascinating, John, because he did drop that mad uh, madman hitman book. Yes, you know where he was talking about the uh, how the record companies would you know promote you in the 80s, and anyone who's read that uh, hitman book, if you haven't, you got to read it because that was the most. You've never read that book? I don't think I have. Well, oh. As soon as he said that, I thought, I've been meaning to read this book forever, and I never have. John, you're getting a package in the mail this week. Hey, I'm right on. Because uh, you're going to love it. It okay. gets into the mob influence of radio promotion in the 70s and 80s. And uh, okay. uh, if, if you've read that uh, Appetite for Self-Destruction, which was the Napster book. I have not they read make that a- one either. Now that one I don't own, so I can't help you out there. But uh, it it references the hitman a lot, okay. and as far as you know, everyone knows about Paola, but the only one who was ever convicted of Paola was Alan Freed back in you know the early '60s, because the record companies would hire you know their contractors right. <laughs> to yeah. go out and do the fifty dollar handshakes and the birthday cards with five hundred dollar bill or five hundred bucks in them, or a little baggie of uh, white powder Something. to play, uh, yeah, to play your white horse. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard the stories. I don't think I've read Hitman, and I've always wanted to. That'd be great. Send it yeah. along. Thank you. Um, okay, Gina Shock came next. Um, oh, this is so one. Good. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear you say this because she. Whenever somebody is making the rounds, yep. doing a lot of interviews, it used to be that that's when I would step away, because it's like if you're going to be on Rock Solid, you're going to go on. I don't know what reliving my youth or whatever Cooper talk, Cooper talk, all that stuff. Then I lose interest because I, I don't, I'm not as interested. You're going to, I'm just one of many that you're cycling through, you know? Uh, but I've come around to that to, I see the error of my ways because it's like, well, when <laughs> this is your chance, you know, when are you, when else are you going to have a chance? Now's the time to talk to Gina. So what do mm-hmm. your own thing. 
And I should say, I didn't listen to any of the other interviews that she did pur on purpose. So I have no idea what her and Rock Solid talked about because I didn't want to know. I didn't want it to influence my conversation. So she, um, she was great. And it was, I, I'm noticing that I, there's little bits of paranoia in my brain sometimes when I do these. It can't, because she would call me John a lot. And it, it's a good feeling when someone's like, you know, Andy, or that's a really interesting thought, Andy. When someone says your name, yes, yes John, conversation, Monroe, it is. Yes, you know, <laughs> yes, Bo Hill. Hill. <laughs> yes. So, huh. it, <laughs> Ken Mills. Um, when it's a good feeling when someone calls you by the name, especially in a situation like this, where I'm one of right. like a hundred interviews she's doing these days. Right. So whenever she would call me John, it would really mean a lot. And then as the conversation went on, it almost felt like. She said it in, in a way where I felt like it was almost making fun of me in a way. Well, let me tell you, John, or what? You know, it was oh. became almost more animated, and I started to think, "Are you are you sick of me? Are you making fun of me now?" Oh God, I didn't you get didn't that at all, so? dude. Okay. She was like, I'm assuming she was on a laptop or a phone. Yes, she was. Yes. and she's like walking through it. She's like, "Okay, now hold on, John. We're gonna walk uh -huh. through my house here. Oh yeah, here's my poster with me and Bowie." Yeah. Uh, behind me here oh uh -huh. here's the rolling stones poster with the go-go's opening in 1981 yeah. i mean she's pointing out shitty on her walls in her home for christ's sakes well i didn't know if she did that with everybody you know what i mean and so i thought i wanted to believe that i was getting my own kind of unique special experience and it yeah. did feel like we connected and had a really good we had a great conversation it was so much fun but i just i'm like is she does everyone get this kind of treatment i don't know i can't tell but i probably need to stop worrying about it yeah, no, she was great. And, uh, you know, you, you referenced the documentary, which is great, because even she kind of admitted like that was kind of the catalyst that kind of finally kicked it in the ass to get them in the Hall of Fame, totally. which I don't know why it took this long. I don't either. The Hall of Fame I mean, can't figure out women. We know those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and alternative music. And alternative music. Exactly yeah. right. Um, so it was fascinating to hear her agree with you. Like, yes, this is the spark that got us in, you know, and then the fact um, that she talked a little bit about the money, not numbers, but as far as the Go-Go's dynamics, yeah. because from the documentary, we learned that Gina and Belinda, of course, they didn't write any of the songs or Gina just had a couple, couple songs on there. They missed out on all the publishing money, which is where the real money was yeah. uh, back in the eighties, which is ironic now that she's on <laughs> doing all these hit makers for you know Miley Cyrus and that, which I found fascinating. How do you go in 1981 to doing one song and album, and now you're writing the you know yeah. tween girl exactly Miley Selena, yeah. yeah, fascinating. Did now when with that one, does the publicist tell you anything like, hey John, we got to stay away from the drug talk or no? That, that doesn't happen very often, and I've mentioned it when it does, and if it does, it's usually um, you know they want to focus on the new stuff, you know, yeah. which is what happened with Jackknife and with Robin Guthrie, which I'm not going to get into because that's technically the next falls into the next recap. But yeah, it's like, you know, let's not focus so much on the past. If you don't mind, they really want to talk about the new stuff. And I understand. And I try to do that. I mean, um, I try to be, I don't want to talk exclusively about the new stuff. It's like, come on, I'm, you're in a big band. I'm not going to ignore that. But I try to give it half and half, you know, but no, and she, her people never said anything about that. Just make sure to mention the book. And it's a great book. You 
Did you get it? I can't remember. I, I did not. Oh, by the way, folks, five bucks a month on Patreon. Help out the Hustle podcast. And you, you too can get some swag and find out what episodes are coming up. That's right. Thank you, Randy, for the plug. There you go. Thank you. Oh, and also the Pantheon Network, John. Are you familiar with them? <laughs> Heard of them? <laughs> Do you know how they work? Call Brad Page if you don't. I got to call Brad. <laughs> give me the full download on Pantheon. Yeah. So, uh, and that's, you know, I, we've been giving away a ton of books and a ton of CDs and a ton of stuff lately. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we don't actually have that many pa- uh, Patreon supporters. So if you're out there and you're like, well, I would join, but I'll probably never win. You, there's a pretty good chance you're going to win something because you're not competing with dozens and dozens of other people. Sometimes sure. it's only one person that even speaks up and wants a oh. CD or something like that, or a mm-hmm. book, you know, that makes it easy. If it's more than that, I just put them in a random generator and did a Google random generator and see who, who, who comes up. But uh, anyway, you're getting the CD, the damn it. <laughs> yeah, if it's like two two people, all kids pick a number between one and ten. So um, it's not that hard. But anyway, that book was beautiful. It's and it's big and gorgeous and full of good pictures of five hot ladies and a great band. So um, now, from the Google Doc that we work off of, you uh, wanted to ask. You have a question about this one. Well, so, so the thing I've always been curious about, and they, they alluded to it a little bit in the, the documentary, is the relationship between Gina and Jane, because they were an item in the 80s. And how does that go on, John? I mean, you know, I dated girls 30 years ago that I never see again. Now you're in a band with this person for the rest of your life. You're tied to them and you got to go out and tour and, and do everything. I'm ashamed to say I, I chickened out. <laughs> it was sure. in my notes and i had it there i as like let's see how this goes do i want to yep. go there because there i worry sometimes especially being a man interviewing a woman that it comes off like like old yeah. howard stern would you know what i mean tell, tell me about jane yeah, yeah. So what's that like you know <laughs> and i especially whenever i'm i mean gina's a beautiful lady dc lee's a beautiful lady Marcella Detroit is a beautiful lady. I mean, we've had a lot of beautiful ladies on here and I, and I want them to feel good about themselves, but not like I'm some slimy guy who wants to get into that deeply. Well, you kind of rode the line of the Melissa Manchester album cover. One Did I? <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. I, I try to be as respectful as possible to these guys. And I was just nervous in that moment. If I, if I, um, bring this up that i'm doing it for like you know titillation as opposed to like actual oh sure yeah no no and i'm not even looking for the titillating i know items i'm I'm not either but i'm just wondering right but i i worry that's what i already can tell when i ask people like what's your tastiest memory they want me to (laughs) i don't even do it very much anymore because they all think i mean like oh you want to know about a you know some spicy juicy thing exactly (laughs) right and that's not what i'm getting at but i can tell whenever i ask that question that's what they think i'm getting at and i mean they can share those kinds of stories if they want they can tell me whatever they want so i don't even ask that as much anymore because i'm i can tell it's never coming across like i mean for it to but yeah i should have and it's only i think it's mentioned in the like almost in passing in the documentary and so i thought well maybe i shouldn't focus on anyway i know i chickened out 
just because it's like, you know, like Fleetwood Mac, you know, that, you know, Fleetwood Mac story, don't you, John? You should really deepen. I think I've, I dig you know into what? The Fleetwood Mac That's story. what I want this, this podcast to be. Let's shine more of a light on bands like Fleetwood Mac. Uh, so what is up with those guys? Yeah. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm just fascinated by that dynamic. You know, like I said, how do you go with the rest of your life tied to this person you had a relationship with? And now they're part of your story and your financial success. Uh-huh. And how does, you know, cause I'm sure there's a Jane camp or a Gina camp. Yeah. So yeah, I know I should have gone there. I chickened out. I don't blame you. Um, okay. We just have a few left here. I'll kind of, I feel like we've been talking for a while. I want to, <laughs> I don't want to bore people. The Hoodoo Gurus, uh, Dave Faulkner obviously has been on the show before. As everyone knows, I'm a huge Hoodoo Guru fan. Um, when I got the an email saying that they had a new album coming out, and I thought, I mean, technically he's already been on. I don't need to, but I want to be supportive because I love them. And yeah. um, so it was. <laughs> we lined up the interview, and it, when we talked to him the first time, it was back when I used to do it on like that conference line that I had for work. So right. Dave and I never saw each other. And this time we were looking at each other in, on Zoom. And I was like, now you and I actually have talked before. And he thought that I wrote for, I think, Magnet Magazine. And he was like, oh, I of course I remember. I mean, we love Magnet Magazine. We love that. Thank you so much. For, and he's just pouring it on. We love Magnet. Thanks for all your attention over the years. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's great. I actually don't write for magnet magazine dave and in fact i don't know if you'll even remember me because i'm i was just a guy in his bedroom talking to you you know and i it was so ooh. and, and it, then he was great but i did worry that like i had completely deflated his balloon of enthusiasm oh. like oh it's not the magnet Ma- you're just some guy in a laundry room <laughs> never mind i don't know sure yeah let's do the interview i don't I no, no. I- he's like john lamoureux from tower records 2005 that's you <laughs> That's me, Dave. You oh. got it. Yeah, no, he he was great. He was he was really sweet. Um, I had one of our listeners. Uh, I won't say his name because I don't want. I'm not trying to incriminate him. Uh, complained to me that that conversation was too political. That and that mm-hmm. I have been I have been letting politics seep into too many of my conversations lately, and it's turning some people off. And um, now this person who said that it was actually, I believe, an Aussie. So uh, interesting that, you know, he probably knows American politics, but may or may not be emotionally connected to American politics. Hmm. And I understand when people say those things. On the other hand, though, I will say it usually makes me pretty angry because my feeling is, do you contact Stephen Colbert every night when he (laughs) makes a joke about Trump that you don't like? And tell him, you know, Steve, I'd really appreciate it if you stopped, you know, making comments about our political situation. Like, good luck with that, you know? And I feel like I don't, in my regular life, I do feel consumed by my anger and frustration with current politics. I only really bring it up here if it comes up naturally in conversation. I don't, like, make someone go there if they don't, if it's not naturally going to go there anyway. And the Hoodoo Gurus had an anti-Trump song on their on their album that I thought was great. And I wanted to ask him about. And then it turns out he and I are aligned politically. And so we had a lot to say about the situation, you know? And so if you don't like that and you, 
I mean, yes, ideally, I love it if our podcast was an escape from real life. But unfortunately, there real life is so crazy right now that it's almost impossible to escape from. And I feel very strongly about the side I am on. And uh, I have a small platform to say what I think about it once in a while, and I'm going to do it. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. You know? Well, I think the fact that they had the song. Yeah. You know, it's not like yes. you're just bringing it up out of no, thin air. I like, so what do yeah. you think about this goddamn right. Right. No, <laughs> rat's I nest know. of American politics? So. Exactly. So, yeah, I, um, that's my, that's, yeah, that's my feeling about it. So, you know, I apologize to anyone who has a problem with it. And uh, I know for sure I won't name names of, of other listener or two that I've upset with my political views over the years, but I, no, I'm in the right and I feel fine about it. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. And if you don't listen to, if you're going to cut out all the Mark Marins and the Stephen Colbert's and the Anderson Coopers and everybody else out there who, you know, is against this whacked out backwards way of thinking in our country right now, then good luck. You're right. good luck doing that. Right. And uh, John, the only time you've ever offended me is telling me that you like Eddie and the cruisers too, more than Eddie and cruisers, the original. I mean, I could care less about your politics. I think, <laughs> I think right there that that was a true test of our friendship. It kind of was, like, wasn't it? Like, really, Eddie and Cruisers Part Two? You like that? Well, Part Two sort of is almost like a Rocky Four. It's almost like one yeah, big music video, yeah. and the Part One yeah. has this kind of weird story attached to it, where people are actually like trying to act, trying to be real. Part Two is just like, you know, it's hey, goofiness. you look like. You look like Eddie Wilson, who supposedly died 15 years ago, but you have a mustache. Hey, it worked. It made sense <laughs> yeah. in the movie. I liked it. Sure. Yeah. Glad you said that. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Hoodoo Gurus. Anyway, I, yes. the album is great. I hope everyone checked it out. I don't know if anyone did that live stream. I wasn't able to attend the whole thing, but I caught six or seven songs and it was really good. They're a great band. Um, okay. This leaves. This brings us to Tim Finn. Yep. Um I could go on, but I think everyone here knows that that was a big deal for me. And here's the deal. I will freely admit, I realized something getting ready to talk to Tim, that I have been shortchanging Tim pretty much this entire time because all of my love and affection and attention goes to Neil. Right. And because of that, I just haven't had even room for much Tim in my life. I know his solo albums. I obviously know Split Ends. I have everything he's ever done with Neil, but I, uh, they have always been way second-class citizens for me in my heart, in the room of my heart, because I love Neil so much. Now, I got approached, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Um, I got approached by a guy named Phil Mortlock, who's one of my Facebook friends, and I don't know him personally, but he approached me saying, do you want to interview Tim Finn? And then he went on. Phil did to say, I thought your interview with so-and-so was so good. And Phil, I didn't interview whoever it was you thought. You, no. I think, mistake mistook me for someone else. I So the, you thought you were contacting somebody who did a really good interview with somebody, and that made you think about Tim Finn. I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to mess up the Tim Finn interview. I didn't do the interview you think I did that got me Tim Finn. But thankfully, I didn't tell you. And Tim and I had a hell of a conversation anyway. And it turns out I was the right guy to do a Tim Finn interview because I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Tim Finn. Anyway, 
Poor so, Steve Cooper at Cooper Talks going, God damn, I thought I had that lined up. <laughs> right. John Lambro stole it from me. Cool, Steve. Noel Fogelman at Reliving My Youth is pissed at you now, John. I know, I know, I know. I luck out. Those guys are great. <laughs> we share, we help each other as much as we can. Um, so anyway, it, it was interesting getting ready to talk to Tim. It occurred to me that I like way more of what Tim has put out in the world the last 20 years, especially than what Neil has put out in the world the last 20 years. I'm not sure. crazy about the last two credit house albums. I like the pajama club album. I'm okay with some of Neil's Neil's uh, solo stuff. Some of it I'm not. So I'm, if you just carved out the last 20 years of both their careers, Neil's is so, so and Tim's is fantastic. And I, it didn't, I didn't, that didn't click for me until getting ready to talk to him. And uh, I'm really glad it did because the forensics album is great. His solo stuff is all fantastic that he's doing right now. Um, he did a, his last album with Phil Manzanera looks in, looking pretty good. Like I'm going to talk to Phil Manzanera later this month. So that's a good thing. Um, anyway, I am, I love that that episode happened because I, it was a marriage of subject matter and preparation in my life coming together to have, to form like the perfect moment. You, and you spent uh, and 35 th- years preparing for that interview. I really did. I really yeah. did. And I didn't even, I mean, I, again, it was nice to realize that I had put so much of my time and attention on Neil deservedly. So, and that Tim has actually secretly been doing better work the last <laughs> however many years. And I need to give that more. I need to bump that up in terms of priority. So sure. um, yeah, meant a lot. And then at the end, again, I, I hope he means it. I don't know. I'm getting paranoid about all this kind of stuff, but he said, you know, I'm going to remember this one. Um, and hopefully he does. Hopefully he didn't yeah. say that because I'm some weirdo and it, I made him uncomfortable and that's why he's going to remember it. Hopefully he's going to remember it because we had a good conversation. Sure. Sure. No, I thought you did. I thought you did a great job with it. Uh, I think the, uh, the enthusiasm in, in your voice spoke for itself. Thanks. So. I hope so. Yeah. I hope too that, it, I mean, yeah, my, this is my only chance talking with Tim Finn. So, of course, I want him to know I love him. But I also want him to know that I've thought about all of this stuff a lot. Oh. And uh, unfortunately, he joined our scheduled time 15 minutes late. Mm-hmm. So I hoped that I, he would make that up by letting me, we could tack on that 15 minutes to the end. Yep. But then he also had to get off early. Um, I think it, because in his mind, he was mentally prepared to stop at the sure. agreed upon stopping time. Well, his wife was texting him from Trader Joe's about yeah. pizza and fish sticks. And, <laughs> and he wanted fish. He pizza. Had, that's right. <laughs> fish pizza. Um, so anyway, he, uh, he got, we ended up cutting that one to about 50 minutes, which wasn't ideal. And we were, I didn't intend to work backwards. It's just the way it worked. So we cut off right as we we're getting to like his eighties output yeah. and split right. in. So we didn't get as deep into all that as I wanted I hope that's okay for everybody, but at least we covered all the other stuff really well. And I still have a couple of forensic CDs left for people who, for Patreon supporters, I keep throwing it out there. It's $2 a month. I will mail you the CD if you want. And uh, not very many people. Well, that's not true. I ha- I got a whole box of them. And I, so a lot of people have said they want them, but even yep. with all that, I still have some left over. So if you want, if you're a Patreon supporter and you want a forensic CD, let me know and I'll mail it. There you go. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, Curtis Steigers. Um, yeah. I look, I, Oh, did you have something more to say? Uh, oh yeah. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Curtis Steigers. Uh, this okay. is why I'm looking forward to this one. So I am, I'm, you know, admittedly, I'm not a jazz expert or whatever. I love a lot of the classic stuff. I still listen to Miles Davis, and Joel Coltrane and stuff like that. Um, not all of it works for me. I really do like, I legitimately like or love Curtis Steiger's last solo album, which yeah. they mailed me a couple of copies of, thank, thankfully. And um, because it almost feels a little more soul in R&B than it does straight up lounge jazz or whatever. Yep. But I have always wondered about his story that I do think that's really interesting. 30 years ago, almost to the day, you come out of the gates with this great hit, the big hit, I Wonder Why, and all these fantastic famous session musicians are playing on your album. Clive Davis is vouching for you. And um, you have a couple of hits and you make Nick, Nick Lowe millions of dollars. <laughs> and then you eventually pivot to jazz music. And that's yeah. what you want to do with the rest of your career. And you're based out of Boise where you grew up. And is there enough going on in Boise to sustain your career? But it turns out there is, and he's great, mm -hmm. you know, and he's a, yes. he tweets, he's a great Twitter follow and um, he's on a UK tour right now that he, you know, updates a lot yep. and he's going to be here in Denver at the beginning of May, of May and I'm going to go see that show. And so, yeah, I don't, I understand now that one is not one of our bigger downloaded episodes either. And I can understand because you probably think I don't know the guy or I'm not in the jazz or whatever. And I can, I can respect that. But there's a lot more. Plus, he's a music fan, first and foremost. And so that conversation was just a lot of the kind of stuff that we, the music we like, we both like. Oh, yeah. And that was fun. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did put in parentheses here. You said, Boise, Idaho's own. <laughs> <laughs> like you were just amazed. Well, who else Boise. is, you know, who else claims Boise? Who else <laughs> would be true. Boise's own? I don't know. You know? <laughs> that is up for grabs, yes. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, yeah no the uh the facet that was fascinating about the bodyguard soundtrack yeah. Uh, yeah. episode yeah, and as far as uh what's so fun about peace love and understanding like he didn't even want to do it oh you know i know kind of thrown on that album and that album sells 40 million copies worldwide yeah. and uh and it makes a friendship builds a friendship with nick Lowe, and yeah anytime he's in the uk nick <laughs> takes him out and that's great you know yeah, and gives him a guitar for Christmas. And, yeah, it was yeah. right there. It's really great. He's a really good dude. I like Curtis a lot. And I think he's Curtis might be going on Ben Montgomery's Records Revisited oh. um, podcast here soon, hopefully when he gets back from this tour, which is great. Sure. Very nice. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I pulled up the uh, Curtis Steiger's uh, debut album, Curtis Steiger's. Um, and when I look at it, he's got the long flowing hair. And the first thing I can think of is that looks like Matt Dillon from singles. When it he played kind of does. Good eye. Yes. I don't know if you can, eh, you can't see it too well through the Blurred out. But yeah, but yeah. I, knew what, I know uh, what you mean. Yeah. Total looks like Matt Dillon from that movie. It so, does. Uh, yeah. You know, I kind of forgot about that song. So it's kind of fun to listen to that. And then, you know, he did a Sinatra album, which I love Sinatra. So he did a great job on that. And I listened to, I sampled some of his other stuff uh, and it was actually pretty good. I mean, yeah. if you like that kind of easy swinging sure. feeling uh, some good stuff, although I, I did like you, uh, you mentioned the Curtis Mayfield sound. Mm -hmm. uh, what was that for? Uh, that was for his newer uh, version of the new version. Yeah. Of yeah. I, I totally got the uh, Superfly 
reference yeah to that. <laughs> it's just a little funkier you know it's kind of more like slow soul music in this one and yeah, it had I, that doon dilute doon yes yeah it's good I, I, immediately i said Superfly or uh eggman by the beastie boys there you go. okay so you got it um oh, yeah. yeah i i again i understand if it's not for everybody and one of the things and i, I never know how to ask this question because it sounds rude and I guess maybe it kind of is, but like, for instance, the new album has a version of summertime on it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, doesn't every jazz jazz bow in history have a version of summertime. What sure. do you, you felt like you needed to do one more version of summertime, but his version is great. But yeah. I wonder what goes that it's similar with like blues standards. Yeah. Like you, why, why go back and redo the, the, thing that everybody does already you felt like you had a take on summertime that's so different and so unique the world has to hear it and now in this case he's right but i i do wonder that about like don't you get tired of playing jazz standards you know doesn't that get old right it's it's passion it is it is and he's and i like his you know interpretations of pop songs and rock songs that he's got on I also found it interesting how he was able to pivot over COVID since he couldn't do shows. And that's how jazz musicians make any money. Exactly. Um, even pre Napster and Spotify um, that he was doing, doing those kitchen yeah. concerts. And the, and it was fascinating, John, like you said, he's over in the UK right now. He timed it. So he'd be hitting the European market, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, like I said, goes to show you there's an entrepreneur thinking Isn't that interesting yeah so it's crazy he's a good guy i'm glad we put that one out i know it wasn't for everybody um okay real quick dale bozio okay <laughs> my gosh what the hell kind of podcast are you running here john well we're we're talking talk? about sex whenever we can you know it was um, uh vanilla cherry cherry vanilla the cherry vanilla all over again <laughs> I think Cherry might still have more of her faculties than Dale does, but anyway, that okay. So here's the deal. Um, uh, I've I've always been a a mild um, missing persons fan. I like that first album a lot. Oh yeah. After that, it I wasn't paying super close attention. Yeah. Um, and so and she has. I've always assumed that she would be nuts. And so I'd never really pursued her, you know, because it just didn't, I didn't know how it was going to go. And then our good friend, Steve Cooper had her on <laughs> and she was starting to make the rounds because of this book, which I have, but I haven't read yet. And um, Steve was like, no, she was great. It, she's, a, she's out there a little bit, but in a good way, <laughs> you should talk to her. Here's her, here's the email address or whatever. And um, so the guy who set it up is someone I've worked with before on other things and um, now in getting ready to talk to her, I came across this news story about cats from a few years ago that she had, she was endangering these cats in her home, I believe. She had too many of them and they were like cannibalizing each other or something Ooh. like that. I'm not exactly sure what, I don't remember what all it was. And so I prepare, as you could tell, a regular journalistic interview about why did you do this? And what about the cats? And what about this? How'd you pay the bills? And that wasn't going to happen with Dale because she is not following any kind of, you know, no. structure. No. She's going, she's out there. And she starts talking about hooking up with Prince. Yep. And, uh, and then she seems really open to talking about 
for sexual history, which again, I did not go into this interview thinking that's what we were going to talk about, but apparently there's a whole section of her book dedicated to this, which I didn't know. And uh, she, that's where she wants, she wants to talk about it. And so we did, we talked about it. And when I mentioned the cats, she sort of brushed it off. And I was talking to some people afterwards. I think in a way she felt safer talking about her sexual history than she might have been talking about the cats or finances or the ups and downs of her life her kids, yeah. drugs, whatever, divorces, whatever they might've been. And, uh, first of all, I enjoyed the conversation a lot because as I said, she's nuts, but she wasn't boring and that's right. fine with me. But I do wonder if her sex life is a Trojan horse. I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk all you want about sex with Prince and John Waite, and John Taylor and everybody else. I'm oh, gonna I, give you I all- got the list here, John, of the names. <laughs> I'm holding up my notebook here. <laughs> I can tell. I'm yeah. going to give you all of that because yeah. anything, all the other stuff, I would have to be too vulnerable and I don't want to go there. And so I'm protecting okay. myself from the real stuff by giving you the sexual stuff, which is more tantalizing and fun anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I, I, I'm curious about that. Uh, she was assaulted in her hotel room and she had yeah, to jump out the window four stories and fell on her I know. head and I'm like Jesus right and oh and like Frank Zappa like came to the rescue at that time or I, right. it was I, I was it was fuzzy to me too yeah and I, uh, I do need to buy this book though <laughs> yeah apparently uh, so it's fascinating um, I, I, I have in my notes here she's the rock and roll Mae West <laughs> she's good one yes yes good and one you could totally tell she was smoking a cig because mm. she was like <sighs> yeah let me tell you about the time i took prince in the convertible <laughs> corvette and uh, then we went back to my house or his house and uh you know screwed all night long yes. it wasn't no it wasn't sex it was making love or whatever yeah it's a whole thing yeah which is yeah. fascinating that prince was that into her um because at paisley park when i've done the tour there's a mural outside one of his studios of all the people that influenced him. So you'd have uh, Sly Stone and uh, uh, Joni Mitchell are on one side, and then all the people that Prince brought into the world. So oh. you'd have the Time Guys and uh, uh, Martika was on there. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so I don't remember Dale Bosio being on that mural. I'll have to go check it out the next time I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. She was, evidently, she was he was smitten. I, well, and she was she was pretty hot back then. I mean, I can oh, I yeah. not surprised. I would have been smitten too, and apparently, kind of, you know, she's down. She's down for <laughs> sex if you're the right kind of rock star. Apparently, so not even sense. rock stars. Uh, yeah. So here's here's the names I wrote down. So we had John Waite, we had Louis McGill, Vince Neil, who was a sweetheart. I don't think I'd ever heard sweetheart and Vince kind of surprised me. Yeah, sense. yeah. John Taylor, Roger Daltrey, Wes Garland from MTV, uh, Scott Gorman from Thin Lizzy, Harold Robbins, the novelist, uh, <laughs> which I'm like, well, Harold Robbins. Yeah. He wrote all the steamy sex books of the 70s and 80s that my mom had. That uh, <laughs> I didn't even shelf. know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. And then Jackie Jackson of, you know, the Jackson fame. 
Uh, and then Yusef Jackson, who's Jesse Jackson's son. So she's into both Jackson families. And uh, Wild. Yeah, it was and that's just, who, you know, who she talked about on the episode. I don't even know who else is in the book. No kidding. Um, so. Yeah, they I don't have the book book. I have PDFs of the that happens a lot. People send me yeah. their PDF copy and I got to read it on my phone more than anything. But anyway, yeah, I'll read it. But yeah, she was a trip. And I did think it was interesting when she expressed regret about having the abortion of scott mm. gorman's kid right uh, and i was yes. like do you really think you could have raised the kid right then with scott scott gorman's kid as a rock star i mean come on right. she's like oh raising a kid is easy and i was <laughs> thinking actually raising a kid is not very easy no. i don't know how maybe it's easy if you're super rich and you have like you can afford nannies and all that kind of stuff but Right. You're going to bring a baby on the road. You're going to bring oh, a baby yeah. over to Prince's house. You know, <laughs> who are you going to get to come babysit for you when you go over and have sex with Prince for days? What are you going to do? You know, right. anyway, it was just a, she was really funny and entertaining, but it was, it was interesting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, hold on. I, I don't oh, want to yes, quite leave this one yet. Um, I, it was a little sad that we didn't get into the music because that yeah. spring session M album. I mean, that album right there is you know the founding fathers of new wave i mean you throw in the cars debut that's really it uh, yeah Blondie, devo. devo i think of devo the cars debut and spring session m as like ground yeah. zero for new wave you know oh yeah punk and synthesizers living together and yeah. i really did me i do i still her answer didn't quite satisfy me i do think it's interesting that terry bozio one of the greatest drummers of all time starts yeah. a new wave band that requires a drum machine, not right. even his actual drumming. And I just yeah. think, why, why would you do that? You're the greatest drummer ever. And you're fine with that. Anyway, she was like, well, he's just into the technology of the time. And that's probably true, but I just still think that's interesting. Yeah. And of course uh, our good friend, Eric Miller had interviewed Terry Bozio years okay. ago over on the pods and sods network. If people want more of the uh, insight on the music. I need to go back and listen to that. Yeah. I need to go back and Dale listen to sex that life. <laughs> Dale sex life. Uh, okay. Last one, Dave Wakeling. Um, okay. I feel oh, like we've been going so for good. a long time, but I'm going to talk about Dave anyway. So yeah. uh, here's the deal. I, Dave is a very going Back to kind of what I was saying earlier, I've heard Dave on a lot of podcasts. Yep. Dave is very gracious with his time. He's a fantastic talker, a fantastic rock hunter. Um, and so I love him, but I never really pursued him for these reasons that I've said. I feel like his story is out there and um, he's very open with his story. He's constantly on tour. He's constantly interviewed for things here and there. And early on, that's why I mentioned Roger ranking Roger was my was more my holy grail because we never hear from Roger. Right. And so um, especially in the States. Exactly. And so Dave, as much as I love him, was not really actually much on my radar for this reason, because I just (laughs) thought um, no need. And uh, but then, of course, Steve Cooper got him and (laughs) I. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be outdone by Steve Cooper here. Let's do this. So um, I started kind of stalking Dave on Twitter. And he would reply to my comments. And like, I, you know, he would, put, he would tweet something. And I would say, Dave, I'm a huge fan. You should come on my podcast. I had Roger on. He'd say, oh, send me the link. And I'd send him the link. And then he wouldn't reply. And he would forget who I was. And he'd do it again. And 
And uh, so then it'd be like, hey, I'm the guy who interviewed Roger. Remember, you should come on my show. Yeah, let's do it. And then I wouldn't hear from him again. So this, as I've said, this is how this usually goes. Well, finally, he replied and uh, said he would come on. And this is one of those interviews that I didn't even really have to prepare for because I have, you know, 40 years of 40 years of paying attention to Dave Wakeling in my head. It was not that hard. Um, but like I said, right before we got, I, I narrowed it down, Andy, to I think the two most impactful musical or influential musical experiences of my life were ex- finding the Jethro Tull songs from the wood because that taught me, that made me realize I liked music from England. And then in the same practically day, because they were both CDs from my cousin Rick, yep. who had What Is Beat, I put on What Is Beat. That was obviously British too. And so I realized I liked music from England and this is the kind of music I like from England. And two-tone. Two-tone. And that leads to British alternative. That's where the Smiths and New Order and Depeche Mode and everybody else comes from. And it's from that, that my realization of that moment. And uh, going back to what I said at the very beginning here, dealing with some depression and some COVID mental health and whatever, I'm especially emotional these days anyway. And getting right before I was about to talk to Dave, it was really hitting me how impactful he had been in my life. And I started to get a little emotional, but it was fine. I was, I mean, it lasted like 30 seconds. I got a little choked up and eyes watered and then I was fine. Then we both hop on the Zoom and I suddenly become overwhelmed with emotion again out of the blue. And I am so embarrassed because like I said, my biggest fear is always coming off like I'm Bush League on this thing. I want people to feel like they're talking to an actual journalist not a guy in his underwear in his laundry room. Thanks for that I mental am. image, John. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. This is what I actually am. And so um, I, uh, but thankfully he gave me two hours and we talked forever. And uh, we had a really great conversation of just two guys who I know a lot about him. He didn't know a lot about me, but that's fine. Cause I was able to ask all the right questions to get a little, you know, I, if you, I don't know if you noticed, we never even played tenderness or save it for later in the no. episode because you can hear those everywhere. I was right. more interested in the come again story or the, you know, or the, I confess story or whatever. Yep. And uh, so, and then he tweeted out later, one of the most interesting interviews I've ever had. And uh, I hope that means the, a good thing. If it, he yeah. thought it was interesting because I was a weirdo and I cried and he had to like, Oh my gosh, this guy interesting (laughs) is the polite way of saying what he actually was. I hope that he meant good things by that. I want to believe that he did because it meant a lot to me. It ended up being, I'm so glad I talked to Dave and, um, and he's coming through Denver here in a couple of weeks. We're going to meet up. Um, I think more than just, I might even go backstage. I might even actually meet him in person. Sure. And so, I don't think he would have given you two hours, John, if he thought you were a weirdo. I hope so. not. I hope not. Um, and it, it is interesting that you you just brought up the fact that, yeah, I said, yeah, I've heard him on other podcasts before. And you didn't touch on the Save It For Later, which I know he always uses that story because it's like, uh, who was it? Like Ron Wood and Pete Townsend were hanging out and they were trying to figure out the chord. Mm. You don't know this story? Oh, I do. Now that okay. you mention it. Yes. Yeah. And they're like trying to figure out the chords for save it for later. They couldn't figure it out. So they called it. They <laughs> somehow track him down and say, yeah, what, what are the chords for this, man? We've been trying to figure it out. And it's like when you can stump Pete Townsend on the uh-huh. guitar, uh-huh. Uh, that's impressive. Yeah. 
I forgot Ron Wood was a part of that. So when you started, I, it's, Ron, it's I was either like, Rod Stewart or Ron. It's one of those. I think you might be, guys. but yeah, I remember the Pete Townsend part. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so, it, uh, that was a great, that meant a lot to me. Well, sir, you, you won't go with, you won't go there with Gina and Jane, but you'll ask Dave about, you know, rumors okay. of, uh, you know, swinging for uh, both teams. Yeah. Here. So that was, that was tough. And it, I, that you, and that's why I saved it to the very end. I'd yeah. never known that about him and it's on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> and again, I don't know how to ask that question it, without sounding as if I'm judging. And of course I'm not, yeah. I don't care what he is. Yep. Um, but he had talked so openly about people dying from AIDS in right. the conversation and, and other gay people and his wife being in the, uh, being in the a makeup artist or whatever it was mm-hmm. that I thought, well, you, if you are bisexual, then you must, this must have been heavy on your mind back then. I don't know. And so it mm-hmm. felt like it was in keeping, you know, if Gina had said, well, like at the end, I asked Gina, what about you personally? And she talks about this guy, Wardell, I think is his name, who yep. Wendell or something that she's living yep. with now or involved with or whatever. If she had said, I'm involved with a Wendy, uh, you know, another woman, and I'm, I, I go back and forth. If she had offered that up, I would have felt more comfortable saying, oh, yeah, well, there's that story about Jane. And But without it coming up naturally, I didn't feel like I could. But in this one, I felt like there was enough groundwork there to ask him about it and i thought he, he gave the right answer he was like i'm more you know everyone sort of experimented back then i was more politically aligned with as a bisexual than i am actually a practicing bisexual yep. so anyway so yeah again it's a it's a shame that him and roger were never able to mend those fences and uh you also you you, you wonder what was behind it you know was it money was it ego was it someone said something uh, you know, a curse, you know, a, you know, misconstrued a statement 25 years ago and they've been holding it back all this time. And well, I think Dave in along with being a great songwriter is a businessman. If mm-hmm. you ever saw that, uh, behind, uh, uh, bands reunited, um, yes. one of the, th- that comes across there. You could tell that he, th- he thinks, well, what's, what's the most cost-effective thing I can do here. And you can tell Roger is not a businessman and so right. roger is relying on someone like tarquin gotch who's been on the show yeah. and tarquin is a businessman and tarquin is trying to get the most money out of his clients as possible and so and dave's and dave and tarquin's you know needs and wants and motivations might be slightly different and coming ahead and i think re- ranking roger put his trust in his management mm. and not in dave and were if he had, they would have come to a, you know, a decision or a come to a decision on it. Like they wouldn't save it for later. Um, right. <laughs> they would have come to a realization that they should do more things together. I think management kind of kept them apart, created some tension. That tension never got resolved, and therefore they never quite figured it out. Yeah. Tarquin Gotch, you lucky bastard! I know. You 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 kept them apart, and you dated Kelly LeBrock in the. It's 80s. not fair, yeah. and you got to hang out with John Hughes and make his yeah. soundtracks. <laughs> That's like right. all my dreams coming true in one guy. <laughs> right. <But> anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, that's pretty much everything, I think. Right? Oh God, I hope so. We're like at the two-hour mark here, right? I know. I know. Look, we talked for a while before we even hit record. I know. So, and. uh Anyway, I hope this was good for everybody. Uh, two things. Number one, I want to know if people really do like these recap episodes. If you do, 
try and keep doing them. I'm starting to lose my enthusiasm for them, but I want to do what you guys want me to do. Secondly, the book clubs, they're a lot of work. It's much easier to listen to a 45 minute album and write down some notes than it is to read a giant book, which takes me about a month so that I can inter thoughtfully interview the author. And I have like four or five books that I'm reading right now to get ready to talk to the authors of these books. So it's not easy, but I want to support them. I think rock books are interesting in general, and I want to give you guys content that I hope you think is interesting. So let me know if you are not into the book club stuff, then maybe we'll do fewer of them. I don't know, but they've sort of taken over my life for better or worse. Um, I think that's everything. And check out Yan's podcast if you want. Yeah. Turn to football, soccer. That's right. Always a, a big shout out to Yan the man. Yan the man. And you better have DC Lee on, John, for promo mode when her uh, her album comes out. Happily. I will happily do that. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we were on Zoom, but she kept her camera off. Mm. So I never quite got to see her, but she's such a cool lady. Yeah. You know, and, and just real quick here, I'll try to be quick. There's some guests that are cool people, but maybe their stories aren't that great. And there's some people that have great, you know, the vice versa. But, you know, DC Lee, I think, kind of had both. I think I th Dillette McDonald pops up immediately. Oh, I big time. That. You know, so it's just fascinating to see these people's personalities and their demeanor and how they talk with you as well as hear their stories. Yeah. So it's just fascinating uh, to, to hear these, John. So every I week I, I look forward to these. So. Thank you. And I know, I know I use this term a lot, but it really is luck. I get lucky sometimes with, I don't know whose personality I'm going to gel with, you know, uh, sometimes it goes especially well. I won't, I won't give it away, but I did post on my personal Facebook page that I interviewed somebody who I consider to be kind of a legend last week that I had really low expectations for. I was not, not because of them. I just thought, I don't know. I don't know how we're, we ended up having this really great chemistry and he emailed me later to thank me, tell me how great it was. And this is a legend who's been interviewed millions of times. And he said that to me and I don't think it's part of it's me, but part of it is just preparation, meeting the right kind of personality, them feeling at ease and trusting me that I know what I'm talking about and letting their guard down so that these interviews become more conversational than they do a hard and fast interview. Dave Wakeling was like that. Once I think yeah. he got the idea that I knew what I was talking about, then it becomes two guys having a good, good, good chat, you know? Right. And it doesn't always work that way. Um, sure. You know, some of them, they, their guard stays up the whole time, but uh, I just get lucky sometimes. I don't know what's going to work and what doesn't. I don't know what episodes are going to go viral and ones that don't. I think they're all interesting. I'm always trying to just find an interesting story. Sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. Um, but anyway, that's the deal. So, so sign up for that Patreon folks, five bucks a month. Come on, let's go help John out. You get some you. swag. It's really, I, it's so minimal. I mean, we, right. I think I've, I think we have like 50 something Patreon supporters. It oh, amounts to good. like $217 a month there that Yan and I split in half. So it's about $108. So and Yan makes about three cents an hour <laughs> working for you. <laughs> actually, I think he ends up paying you three cents an hour. He might actually, um, but full transparency. So then I, I pay myself back first for all of the postage of mailing things out. And with all the books and CDs, it's been 
you know, more than a hundred dollars recently in just postage alone. And I still yeah. have more to go. So I pay myself back and then whatever's left over is what we get. And that's, you know, a little enough to like maybe go out to dinner once in a while or whatever, after I pay for the hosting fees and the everything else. So it's not, it, this is not about, we're not trying to make money. We're just trying to, um, the donations help us buy you guys gifts, get you guys swag, pay for the postage, pay for the hosting, just to keep it going. That's it. Get your hustle t-shirts on amazon.com still. There we go. Yeah. It, Sell that soap. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. One of our listeners, Terrence, who lives in Maui, uh, contacted me the other yesterday, I think it was, saying, I'm trying to buy one of your t-shirts. Where are they? And I hadn't gone on Amazon and looked in years. I had no <laughs> idea if they were even still on there. And I actually had to dig around a little bit because you. It, my understanding was you type in the hustle podcast merch or t-shirts or whatever and it would pop right up it didn't yeah. you had to like dig around and then you mm -hmm. found i found everything so um anyway anyone wants to buy a t-shirt let me know and i'll help you get the link or whatever yeah. and for 500 dollars, john will come to your house and personally deliver it to you and i might steal <laughs> one of your aha cds in the process <laughs> so uh you might lose a little money on that one uh, <laughs> depending on what i steal right all right <laughs> Well, uh, let's let these people have their lives back. Uh, All right. I'm going to hit stop here in a second, and then uh, I'm going to go eat dinner, and then I'm going to post this so All it's right. as live as it can be. Thank you, Andy, for everything you do for us, for being one of our biggest, if not the biggest supporter of all the hustles. And um, it's just nice to chat with a friend and nice to chat about the podcast. I hope it's fun. Always glad to help, sir. Always glad. Good. So. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We will talk to you all later.